Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one star hosts talk about five, four, and three star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one star host, 10K Trevino, or Chris Trevino by others. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez Gerard. Last week, we kept it a little bit shorter than usual. You know, I did this new thing with the listener questions, and I think we helped fuel this theory that the kind of the shorter we go, you know, above just above that two-hour range, the team plays better because USC blew out Colorado. Now, that could just be a false uh, data point because Colorado is trash, but it is interesting, and it does seem to back up the theory that there is a a ideal range for the length of our podcast where it helps the team play better. Or two hours, by- 20 minutes. Two hours, 20 minutes is what we're shooting for. Two hours, 20 minutes is the sweet spot. Two hours, 20 minutes, and it guarantees a Trojan dominating victory. Look, and that's what we're going to try to shoot for today because it's obviously UCLA week. It's obviously a big game. USC wins. They go to the Pac-12 championship. So... We're going to try to ease the minds of people that believe in this uh, theorem about the length of our podcast affecting how USC plays. So we're going to we're going to go into that. We're going to go for the 220 mark. We're not going to try to go three hours. And I say that knocking on some wood because every time I say that we seem to hit that mark. But other than football, Gerard, how are you doing? You power through illness. Yes. uh, Last week. How are you doing this week? I'm I'm still kind of powering through it, unfortunately. Uh, one of those um, weird uh, sicknesses that sort of goes away and comes back, goes away and comes back. So I don't know. I'm good. We'll uh, hopefully get through this. 220. You know, if we don't do 220 ish, then uh, you know we're going to get blamed <laughs> for the last two. So acknowledging this theorem, as you call it, also. Uh, we take responsibility for keeping it going. And if we don't hit that mark, people are going to say, see, you guys are the reason why USC lost to UCLA. I'm unsubscribing, even though I don't subscribe because I'm a filthy casual listening to this podcast. There you go. But at least we're doing a step better before a huge USC game, because for the Utah game, we didn't even have a podcast that week and they lost. So that's when kind of the theorem started. So at least we're we're playing into a little bit, but we're also doing a podcast just because there's a lot to talk about. Gerard, there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, we got another jam-packed show. We're still on decommitment season because we got more, you know, targets around the country that are looking around. We're going to talk about, we're going to start talking about, you know, some portal smoke, the transfer portal. That recruiting season is about to get going in about two weeks. So we got some, uh, some smoke we've been hearing about a big name. We're going to talk about that. We got a bunch of new offers. We got some top schools lists we're going to hit on very quickly. We got another stop around the college football coaching carousel. We got some week 11 scores. We got Gerard's always popular recruiting angle for uh, the Colorado win uh, on Friday. We got a jam-packed Friday night schedule. We got a little bit of week 12 college football. There's only one really game, big game that we're kind of looking at. And then we got a couple listener questions to run through. So, Gerard, I think we got a good show today. I feel like we can be efficient. Okay. I, I, I like that. Now, before we get into that, just very quickly, I have to shout out the best official sponsor in the world, the official sponsor 
of the composite two-star recruits, Meredith Schlosser, A-list real estate agent in Los Angeles, over $600 million in sales, over 200 five-star Zillow reviews. Seriously, if you're in the market right now to buy, sell, rent, whatever, go with her. And I know that because I have worked with her. She helped me and Jeremy Hensley find the house I live in right now. They are the best. You can go to her website at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. So thank you again to Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Okay, Gerard, cold open, back again for decommitment season. I'm sorry, Gerard. I feel like I have a lot of energy right now. I'm trying to go with some pace, but... Last week, we talked about five-star linebacker Anthony Hill. We have another five-star to talk about, and that's Pittsburgh, California five-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada, who pulled off an incredible late-night flip from the Hurricanes to the Florida Gators. And we got we got some not, – not backlash is the word. We have some uh, – Ripple effects from this with, you know, people talk about, okay, is the Miami class finally about to implode? Are the on-field results too much for these uh, Miami recruits? Are the bags not heavy enough or are the bags too heavy that they're not even – doesn't matter how bad they play because, you know, people were talking about Francis Maui Goa. You know, is he next? We got some memeish tweets that came out. So, Gerard, all I got to ask is uh, do you got love for Coach? <laughs> oh, I, have love. I got a love for coach. You know, we talked about it last week, Anthony Hill being maybe that crack in the dam, you know, that first sort of, uh, you know, snowflake that gets out of place and all of a sudden creates this avalanche. And it's going back to the early commitments that we saw over the summer and there being a lot of debate whether, okay, these guys are making deals over the summer very NIL heavy, and these are deals and contracts that go beyond just letter of intent. And you're not going to see a lot of these guys waiver because financially uh, they are already locked in with their verbal commitments. And we now see two of the biggest, maybe two of the biggest, because we're not really, we're not done yet. We're uh, far from done yet. Two of the biggest commitments over the summer now decommit. And, and Anthony Hill was at Texas last weekend. So that would be an interesting flip from AM to Texas. That's going to create a lot of controversy behind the scenes, certainly with boosters. And now you have Jay Nishada decommits from Florida, or excuse me, decommits from Miami to go to Florida, which a lot of people thought he that was where he was originally headed. A lot of people felt like, okay, Florida is probably going to be the school he commits to. And then he ended up committing to Miami instead. So with a reported bag at the time of $9.5 million. Yeah. Yeah, That's, you know, those numbers get thrown around and what have you. And we've talked about that in the past, you know, how realistic those numbers are. Um, Regardless of that, it's, it's more of another example now of those summer commitments, not necessarily being as locked in as everybody thought they might be. And what that means is it, it changes your outlook in terms of I don't know, how aggressive do you go at these commitments during the summer? Um, you know, you still have to play a season 
all those things that we talked about with the factors that go beyond NIL in terms of academics, relationship with coaches, depth charts, NFL projections, those things still seem to matter. And so, you know, NIL is going to be there. NIL will be a wild card when it's two schools where things maybe are close. And certainly during the summer, everything is close because nobody's played a football game yet. So now we get into the season and there's some separation in terms of how these teams are playing on the field, and what the product of the field looks like and what you want to be a part of as a recruit that comes in and perhaps makes an immediate impact. Because these guys are five-star guys. These are guys that want to play as true freshmen, if not start as true freshmen. So that's something that, you know, we're looking at now again as being, you know, major factors in these recruitments. And we'll see, you know, as we go forward here, uh, like you said, in the next two weeks, I think the other shoe to drop is going to be what happens with the transfer portal window that opens up and the available talent that ends up in there. Because we've talked about this in the past few weeks, people have to realize if there's a big time immediate impact player that, that jumps into that portal, that's going to change your, your, your recruiting board for high school players. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden, look at, we really like this four-star guy, but these, these coaches almost unanimously at this point are saying, we're going to go with the, the proven commodity out of the porthole, a player that not only academically, we can see exactly you know, what his transcripts look like. There's no little, uh, you, you know, things that you have to kind of figure out. And did he take this class? Does this class actually count towards our university standards and all this other stuff that goes on with the high school and JUCO ranks? You know he's going to be academically fine. He's eligible. Um, you see what he's played like against college-level competition. And maybe, you know, it's a sub-bowl team or what have you, but you still – get to see a lot more really good film and evaluation. It's a proven commodity uh, in compared to what you get with the high school players. And like I said, it seems like every coach that we've listened to when they talk about the portal says that they're going to go that direction. So that all of a sudden shits your board. You may see decommitments from schools because of that. You know, some school may move on a guy in the portal and all of a sudden they've got a, a, a sophomore or junior sitting there on that depth chart where before they didn't have anybody. I mean, that's why they're recruiting so hard in the high school ranks. So all of these things can shift and change how these committed classes look right now. So that's something that we have to look forward to as well. Yeah, and we're again, we're going to hit on kind of that portal talk a little bit, uh, but that opens in two weeks, and that's just another huge wrinkle for what should be a crazy – December and kind of January for us, Gerard, is having to deal with the portal. We've mentioned it several times and how that is going to be a game changer for, you know, that that new window. And it's going to create so much. I, I guess chaos is the is the right word, especially with it being sort of very close to early signing period. And you're right. I think we're going to see decommitments because of the talent in the other section uh, the recruiting pool you can go for, and that is college players. So we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, I, I got to go back to you know Rashada and that move and how it kind of set this uh, I got love for coach thing. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it's you know a bunch of Miami players, you know in the in the day I believe it was just the same day, like several hours the next day, 
after Rashada decommitted, a bunch of Miami players put out a bunch of tweets that seemed kind of scripted. Uh, just to just to read Francis Marigoas, it's uh, all caps block the noise. Miami is home. I got love for coach at Mario Cristobal and my future Canes. I will not be attending Florida this weekend. I'm all in on the U. Now, people were saying a lot of these were straight copy and paste because a lot of them seemed very similar. Um, and an example of Tommy Kinsler, a 2024 commit. Uh, he also did the I got love for coach, my future Canes. I'm a Kane. I will not be attending Florida this weekend because I'm all in on the Canes. You, same emojis. Some words different, but for the most part, that. So now Gerard and I have, uh, he started this uh, podcast by, or this call by saying, uh, do I got love for coach? I got love for coach, yeah. Gerard. It's, it's. A little weird, little cringy, little sounds <laughs> PR-ish more than it does kids genuinely just saying, hey, you know what? I'm still very solid with this school. It just sounds like there was maybe like some calls that were made out to these recruits. And just to be clear, you're, 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 you're saying, saying Miami players. They're not Miami players. They're Miami prospects. Uh, prospects, recruits. yes. These guys that are committed in the class and, you know, clearly – they want to have a little bit of optics cleaned up and they want everybody to stay together. And you don't want a lot of uh, uncertainty within the class. Like, Oh my gosh, Jane Rashad is decommitted. What's going on. So, you know, the Miami coaching staff got on it quick and they're like, listen, you know, we really want you to, to, to reinstate that you're solidly committed. Let everybody know that you're going here. And maybe it was, you know, Miami coaching staff, maybe it was part of the NIL deal. Uh, we're not really sure how it works, but it, it, it was certainly not necessarily like the most um, individualistic, inspiring <laughs> tweets. They had this weird sort of uh, they were just like all kind of the same. And so, you know, that's that's interesting. And, and certainly USC fans are very interested in Francis Maoyagoa, uh, the 6'5", 320 uh, pound five star offensive tackle from Bradenton, Florida, IMG Academy a guy that uh, took his official visit to USC over the summer. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, and we've gone over it in the war room a few times, and I'll just say that if Francis Mayagoa ended up back on the market and decommitted, and listen, all this I got love for coach stuff, you kind of roll your eyes at it a little bit because we've seen it so many times in the past where you know you got kids that just want to sort of they, – they want time to think, you know, and everything's going crazy, and I'm sure their phones are blowing up, and a lot of people are saying a lot of things to them. And they just need time to think. So it's like, hey, I'm solidly committed, not going anywhere, not looking at any other schools. And then all of a sudden, you know, the opposite happens a few weeks down the line. So um, this is just one of those things that's trying to, you know, chill out the fan base, chill out the committed recruits. And, and, and hey, it, everything's fine. You know, it's that sort of uh, that meme with the dog and everything's on fire. And it's like, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. Um, that's sort of what's going on right now with the Miami recruited class. Um, but I think with Malagoa, as I was saying, USC still would have to make up some ground there if he did end up back on the market. I actually think that if he decommitted for Miami, Alabama would maybe be the school to beat for him. Um, Alabama was kind of the leader going into his announcement, or I should say going into his official visits. It seemed like 
Alabama was the leader. But what we heard is that Alabama wasn't going to talk NIL numbers or anything specific until he signed. And they were taking basically the same approach that USC took. It was, look, at NIL for us is a post-signing day thing. And you need to be enrolled, need to be a part of the program. And then, you know, we have all these different opportunities and they start talking about the market, so on and so forth. But there are other schools that are more ahead of, hey, if you commit, you know, we have this for you and, and we're going to move for you and we're going to do these things. And so there have been schools that have been much more aggressive and he went that way. It seemed like it was Miami and it was Tennessee. Then it was Alabama and USC. So I think if he decommitted from Miami and the closer we get to signing day, the less and less those pre-signing day deals are going to matter because, you know, you don't have to wait very much anymore for signing day and for enrolling when you're, you know, in, in July and in August, you know, you're thinking, Oh man, you know, you got all these months and this school's, you know, coming ahead and they're talking this and I can get this, that, and the other. Now, you know, we've got, you know, a, a few weeks here until signing day. And so it's much closer and the schools that are going to talk about deals and, and, and what can happen financially for you. If you enroll, well, you're, you're almost uh, here. You're almost ready to enroll. So I think those deals may become more tempting. So I would say that if, you know, that happened with a guy like Francis Goa, I think Alabama and USC would probably be right there. Um, I think Alabama would probably be the school to be out of the gates. Not to say that USC couldn't make up that ground, but I think, um, you know, from what I heard up until when he announced his commitment to Miami, that uh, Alabama would have probably been there if Alabama would have made the same NIL pitch as Miami did. Yeah, it would certainly be uh, a hard-fought battle if uh, Mabago ever did come back on the board, like decommitted from Miami, and that's you know that's the fan favorite for USC fans. It's Mabago, 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 and as you alluded to, you know sometimes the kid needs time. Sometimes. You know, they're just going to stick it out. So we'll have to see. Time will tell. Still a lot of weeks left until, uh, you know, they can sign in December. But in between that time, it's going to get it's going to get hectic. These are not the the last decommitments that we're going to see at the, at the top of the, you know, the recruiting rankings. And with that, you know, we do have some other guys that are, are kind of looking around. Uh, Gerard, do you want to run through them or should I? Well, there are a few top players that are already taking visits to other schools. And these visits to other schools, listen, commitments take visits to other schools. There's a lot of guys that commit during the summer. They get their foot in the door with the committed class. And then as the season goes on, they start to look around. But it seems like these are kids that are looking around on the cusp of a potential decommitment because of what's happening with the schools that they're committed to. So. You know, at the top of the list has to be Katie, Texas, five-star defensive tackle, David Hicks. So David Hicks is committed to Texas A&M, committed to Texas A&M at the last minute over Oklahoma. Oklahoma fans were already talking smack about, oh, we got David Hicks and he's going to be this for us and he's going to be that for us. And then he shocked them. He absolutely shocked Sooner fans by committing to Texas A&M. Now, the school that's really making the biggest push for him right now is not Oklahoma. Although Oklahoma still could get an official visit from him, it's Oregon. Oregon, he's been to three times now. He took an official visit over the summer. 
and he's taken two unofficial visits to Oregon. He was just in Eugene last weekend. So this is a guy that's definitely on decommit alert for Texas A&M, and, and obviously Texas A&M season has been a struggle, to say the least. Um, Des Moines, Iowa, five-star offensive tackle, Caden Proctor, uh, number one offensive tackle in the country, according to some, uh, was also supposedly up there at Oregon uh, for their game against uh, Washington this past weekend. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that game later on. Uh, certainly Oregon didn't put their best foot forward with some of these recruits, but Oregon's bringing all these top guys in unofficially. These are unofficial visits. So, you know, we kind of talked about in the past, unofficial visits might not really be unofficial visits anymore with NIL. I don't know how that works. Um, I don't know how a collective gets involved and, you know, what, what does a recruit do in order to get a all expenses paid trip somewhere? I mean, do they have to do some type of an appearance, some type of cameo, but there's more and more talk that a lot of these guys are going all over the place and they're not necessarily having to pay for these trips. Now, I don't know if that's true with Oregon and bringing these guys in, but these kids that are coming in are top rated guys and they're all coming in on unofficial visits. So, you know, in some cases, Oregon can bring them back for an official visit later on. I think they have unofficial visits just pretty much the whole season. I don't think there's been a ton of official visits during the season. They've kind of pushed those back, and they're trying to have a big weekend right before the early signing period. So, you know, this is something that USC has to be aware of as well. They have not had the visits on campus that Oregon has had uh, or, or some other schools. In terms of unofficial visitors, for the most part, it's been local players that are just getting there, you know, on their own. It's clearly not guys that they're flying in. There's some 2024 kids that they brought in, some some pretty good recruits, but you kind of understand that those guys, those kids haven't really been on a lot of visits, so that's why they're probably coming in. There's less speculation about those kids coming in on their own dime, just because this is the point in time where you you kind of have to take visits, right? But when you're a guy that's already taking your official visits and uh, you're a top-rated dude, you're probably not going anywhere just to go anywhere when you're flying across the country. So that's the interesting thing about all of this. And, again, I mean, USC fans, I know right now, are going, why are we not having David Hicks on campus? Why do we not have Caden Proctor on campus? Those are the positions that we should have uh, top options at. And we just haven't seen those guys. So, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, um, LaGrange, Texas, four-star quarterback, Revion Rogers, uh, who's also committed to Texas A&M. Uh, Javon Thomas, who's from Dallas, four-star quarterback, also committed to Texas A&M. Both uh, were reportedly going to visit Texas for the TCU game. So, again, Texas A&M's class. There's some guys looking around. A guy that's local that's committed to Louisville. Uh, St. John Bosco four-star wide receiver DeAndre Moore was also at the Texas game. And so he's been one of those kids that committed early. Uh, a lot of people thought, okay, that's an NIL deal going to Louisville. Uh, Ruben um, Owens. Uh, Owens. I was going to say, I, I always think Ruben Foster. I don't know why I always say Ruben, Ruben Foster. Foster. Ruben Foster, linebacker at <laughs> Georgia so many years ago is always what I think about when I say Ruben. I think because it's spelled the same. But anyways. Ruben Owens, the uh, five-star running back that's committed to Louisville. A lot of people didn't think that was going to hold up. Um, you know, people claiming that's totally NIL. You know, Louisville's not going to get that level of player. 
without NIL, et cetera, et cetera. And again, NIL, you know, Louisville is one of those schools with Texas A&M, Miami, and Tennessee that has been very, very aggressive with NIL. We haven't heard too much uh, with Ruben Owens, but we've heard a lot with DeAndre Moore. And DeAndre Moore is a guy that was committed to Oklahoma, if you recall, uh, when Lincoln Riley was there. And, um, you know, then decommitted. A lot of people thought, okay, he's just going to end up going to USC along with uh, Makai Lemon and Malachi Nelson, but didn't. And then he transferred out of Los Alamitos and he ended up at St. John Bosco. And so we're kind of waiting to see, you know, what happens there. Um, is, Clark, is Pierce Clarkson, the St. John Bosco quarterback that's also committed to Louisville, starting to look around as well. Louisville hasn't had a horrible season, though. You know, they sort of struggled early on. They're clearly not an elite team. And I don't know if they're ever going to get there, even if they get some of these players. I mean, their class is okay. I think their class is, let's see, what is it rated right now? I got to pull that up. Um, I'm going to guess like uh, 32. Actually, they're 17. So Uh they're not that down the rung uh, in terms of commitments. So they're not too bad off. I mean, USC is 13 right now. Tennessee is 12. Uh, The highest rated of all those schools that have been, quote unquote, like super over aggressive when it comes to the four families of NIL. It is Miami. Miami is number nine right now. And and Florida has actually just overtaken them uh, at number eight. So that's interesting. I mean, Oklahoma right now has the number seven rated recruiting class in the nation. You know, so USC's recruiting class right now is pretty. It's OK. It's not it's not great. It's not like, you know, wow factor right now. And, and people have been critical of that. And, you know, you're looking at what's left on the board for USC. And that's, again, why it's like, why isn't David Hicks? Visiting USC. Why isn't Caden Proctor visiting USC? Well, USC, I think, from an NIL standpoint, has not nearly been as aggressive as Oregon and some of these other schools. And so you've got a list of players there that are looking around, um, that are visiting other schools, that are not just guys that, you know, in the beginning of the year, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to still visit all these schools and look around. It's clearly, you know, Texas A&M is not producing on the field, showing the product on the field that inspires these kids to stay committed and they're looking and thinking, okay, maybe I want to go somewhere else because that coaching staff might not be there. There's probably going to have to be changes, whether it's not the head coach, it's going to be assistant coaches. And that obviously shakes things up as well. So we'll see how that all uh, comes together here over the next few weeks. I would certainly not be surprised if you saw a decommitment out of that group. Now, one other prospect that we have to mention Mm -hmm. that is apparently looking around here and, and this is not news to us. This is not really surprising. But Mesa, Arizona, four-star wide receiver Jacoby Lane also was expected to visit Texas last weekend. And we asked Lane about that visit, what he was looking forward to. He didn't want to talk about Texas. But we can tell you that Texas is a player for him. Uh, now, certainly after that game that they played, again, sort of like Oregon, falling on their face where you got all these big-time recruits in town, and that's always the risk, bringing all these guys in town. And I think with Lane, he came in unofficially. I don't think that was an official visit. Deuce Robinson, the 6'6", 225-pound, uh, five-star tight end from Arizona, was there on an official visit. And Texas scored – I think Texas's offense only scored actually three points. <laughs> they didn't actually score 10 points, but it was 17-10. Sounds and great. from an offensive standpoint, it was bad. It was just a bad, bad game for Steve Sarkeesian. 
the offense looked bad, and that's a hard sell. Like if it was a bunch of defensive players coming in, you say, all right, you know, <laughs> we we played hard defensively, you know, and and you know what can you do? And those guys are still like, all right, yeah, you know what, you lost to a good team, you lost to a team that's you know possibly going to be in the college football playoff, uh, but it was a low scoring game. But when you're talking about offense, yeah, there's some question marks there. Uh, with uh, what Texas is doing offensively. And certainly there's some controversy there at the quarterback position. Uh, Maybe we'll get in that a little bit later. But Jacoby Lane is a guy that is, you know, of this class that USC has committed looking around a little bit, which is interesting because, I mean, he's had a good year. I think USC would like to keep him committed. Uh, But seeing how he committed and sort of the backstory to that, we talked a little bit of that in the war room when he committed. It's not a surprise that he's kind of looking around um, and you know, there's potential that he could waver for sure. The question is, you know, does USC go in after somebody else? Again, you have to sort of populate your recruiting board with guys and get them on campus. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of that in the past few weeks. You know, in these games where USC were supposed to have a pretty dominant run here after the Utah game, you know, you get a bye week and then you're getting, you know, the likes of Colorado, Arizona. Uh, Cal, these are schools that everybody go, okay, this is the easy part of this schedule. It turned out not to be the easy part of the schedule. I mean, some of these games were closer than the games previous to the Utah game, and USC didn't bring in a ton of recruits either. So it's interesting. I think, you know, part of this has to fall on the shoulders of, of the fan base as well, because when USC is not playing top teams and there's not a lot of buzz, there's not a lot of butts in the stands either. And the environment at the Coliseum is not the best. And I know I've said this before. I've, I've reiterated on behalf of the fan base, they don't like these 730 starts. It's tough for people to hang around that long for a 730 start. And it's just everybody's like sort of tired from the day of tailgating. You're just not going to get the same environment as if you're playing at 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. And USC has played very, very few games early afternoon this year. So that is something that is understandable. But at the end of the day, I think the coaching staff, and this is going back even in the Pete Carroll coaching staff, a little hesitant to bring a bunch of top recruits in. Uh, even if you feel like, okay, this is a team that we can dominate. It's going to be a good looking game for us. You know, we can feature certain players uh, in our, in our playbook against this particular team. The environment itself, if it sucks, you, you sort of hesitate a little bit like, okay, do we want to bring this kid in from the, the Southeast or from Texas? And he's seen all these games in the SEC. You know, he's watched the Auburn um, uh, Texas A&M game where you've got two crappy teams playing against each other, but it's a sellout game nevertheless. And it's a great home environment. You know, that that's what you're competing against. So, you know, I don't think atmosphere is necessarily the biggest factor for recruits, but it is something that they talk about, you know, and, and it sort of projects the support that fan base has for the team. And that's one of those things where you want to be a part of something like that. So, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame game, obviously, that's going to be something where they're going to bring in a bunch of kids for that game. Um, and that environment is obviously going to be much more intense. So, you know, that's a better team you're playing against, too. And like with Texas and Oregon, you're playing against, you know, com- competitive teams. You can lose that game. And then, you know, you have to look and see, okay, you know, how, how did you lose that game um, with the kids you brought in? How did you look on the field? Because you can sort of do damage to yourself, uh, you know, going in and getting 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 boat raced by a team uh, at home.
And just to circle back on uh, what that started with was Jacoby Lane and how we're not surprised that he's kind of looking elsewhere. I mean, the first time I interviewed him after he committed, he told me straight up that he was going to be taking visits to other schools. He falls into that category of a commit who still wants to take his visits, and that's what he's doing right now. So not surprised in that sense. And, you know, if he ends up, you know, going somewhere else, uh, I think they would like to keep him. You know, he's a big body, super athletic, big, big playmaking ability. But USC has certainly certainly shown under Lincoln Riley that recruiting wide receivers isn't uh, a big issue for them. But that could play into our next topic, uh, Gerard, that is the transfer portal. Because if they lose, you know, one of their receivers, you know, Jacoby Lane goes wherever they could, you know, supplement that instead, not with the high school guy, but out of the portal. And this is sort of a new segment we're, we're, we're working in, kind of similar to the college football coaching carousel where we kind of just check back in when, when stuff pops up. But this is a kind of a portal section. Gerard uh, labeled it TP for my portal I don't know if that's going to stay the name. It might be just be the working name for now. But with the portal opening in about two weeks, you know, it's going to get very hectic on that secondary college market. And Steve Wilfong, you know, one of the directors of recruiting at 24-7 Sports, had this uh, tweet go out the other day that did numbers. But he, he said, I quote, some elite players expected in portal with destinations on where they're where they'll land already being planned. If you're not backdoor recruiting the portal, you could never get a swing on a big time player going in. So basically, if you're waiting to recruit once they officially enter, you're already too late. So we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff, I think, uh, within the next two weeks when it's finally hits. But. One name, I guess the only name in our, our portal section for this week in the debut is a pretty uh, good wide receiver out of or playing at Texas where we just uh, talked about with Jacoby Lane. That's Xavier Worthy. Now, there has been some smoke about him possibly transferring out of Texas is something that started on the Longhorns 24-7 sports board. It ended up on our board at USFootball.com. So naturally, you know, when there's smoke, you know, Gerard, you've been in this business a long time. When there's smoke, there's usually some sort of fire. So, you know, wanted to do some checking around on that. Now I'm going to disclaimer this section right now. There will be more in the war room, upcoming war room for Friday. I have Gerard on a very strict leash for this segment. I'm not going to let him just ramble and give away uh, potential juice. So if you hear the mic just cut out, that's because I cut him off. That's because he was getting too close uh, to the edge. But Xavier Worthy is definitely something on our radar that we had to talk about, Gerard. Yeah, and this is an interesting topic twofold. One, we don't like to get too much into guys that could potentially enter the porthole because it's it's gossip and it sort of creates um, discontent on other fan message boards. And I don't want to create more work for moderators and publishers of other sites because we're fanning the flames on a rumor. And it's certainly one of those things. It's a little bit of a touchy subject, right? 
Okay, and then there's the other aspect of this, which Steve Wolfong decided to actually tweet about and talk about is the fact that you have a lot of conversations already happening behind the scenes with high school coaches, high school trainers. Perhaps those trainers are still training these players in the offseason when they're not on campus uh, with their colleges. And it gets into the conversation of tampering. And, you know, what is tampering? What isn't tampering? But what Steve is saying is absolutely 100% true. It's 100% right. And we know this. If you are waiting for the name to come up in the porthole and for it to be publicly announced, you're already way behind. It's just the way it goes. And, you know, we've talked about that a little bit in the past. I mean, with Jackson Dart, we know that, you know, that that was already a name floating around before he officially ended the portal for USC. And it's really something that happens through the back channels of high school coaches. The players usually say, listen, I'm not happy. You know, I'm not feeling this. I want to get out. And he'll say that to his parents. Maybe he'll say that someone, like I said, a trainer or somebody that he's close to that is not associated with that college. In these situations, a lot of times the college coaching staff in which that player attends, the team that he's playing on is the last to know. And I know that for a fact because I remember the Brew McCoy situation. And when he signed with USC and then transferred to Texas before transferring back, USC had no clue that he was going to be going to Texas. It came out of left field for them. And I think he basically told them, no, I'm fine. I'm going because he told me that. (laughs) So, you know, they're going to keep it copacetic as long as possible. And this is sort of like with decommitments from schools. It's the same thing. You don't want to tell anybody no and be talked out of a situation that you're not feeling comfortable in. So it's a very last minute thing. Oh, I'm transferring. Um, You know, can I get my paperwork? And that's when everybody goes, what? Uh, and, and at that point, the high school coaches, the trainers, those people are already working the phones and they're saying, Hey, listen, such and such is not happy. Such and such is looking to maybe transfer out. Uh, you know, what, what, what do you, what are you looking at? You know, what's your transfer, what's your situation looking like on your roster? Are you interested sort of thing? And that's the way things get going on behind the scenes. And so that's why you see some of these top guys. They, they enter the transfer portal, and the next day they've already transferred into some other school because the song and dance uh, has already happened behind the scenes. And a lot of times I think these kids have ideas of where they want to go. And I say kids because a lot of them are still kids. You know, they're, they're young men in some situations, but in other situations are still immature. They're guys that have gone through the high school process and the recruiting process with a lot of people kissing their asses. And they're in college, and they're still getting that to some extent. And so they have these ideas already of where they want to go. A lot of the top guys do not go through the recruiting process the second time. You know, a lot of guys don't really want to go through the the, the official visits. Um, we've seen quite a few of those guys that have come into USC. They really haven't gone through a bunch of different official visits. I think Jordan Addison had one official visit, and that was to Texas. Um, Caleb Williams had a sort of kind of visit to UCLA, depending on who you talk to, but then the conversation also becomes because you want to get away from the talk of tampering. (laughs) Sometimes the schools that are going to get that transfer and everybody knows that kid's going to that, that school. 
they want the, the, the transfer to take visits to other schools just to make it sort of look like, hey, you know what? Cover the tracks. Uh, yeah, cover the tracks, sort of speak, you know? And um, so this whole process is a very interesting one, um, just outside of what we heard with Xavier Worthy. But it's going to be talked about. It's out there already with Worthy that maybe he's looking to transfer from Texas. And this is not the first time we've heard his name pop up with transfer talk. Uh, his body language on the field has not been that great this year. You know, you see him in that TCU game. Um, there's been some questions about Quinn Ears and whether the locker room is is fully behind him. Um, his downfield passing has certainly been a bit of a frustration for the Texas fan base, and I'm sure Steve Sarkeesian. And for a player like Xavier Worthy, you know, a lot of his passes have sort of kind of been behind the line of scrimmage to some extent, and he hasn't been that deep threat that we saw last year and that he can be. I mean, he's a guy that stretches the field. He's basically what Trojan fans hoped Gray Bryant would be for USC. He was that last year for Texas. This year he hasn't been that so much, and a lot of people feel like that's on ears, just not having a lot of accuracy downfield. Quinn Ears has a big arm. I mean, he has an absolutely talented arm, but his fundamentals break down a lot, and so there's a lot of questions in terms of you know, technique, Coaching, um, just, you know, when you have that sort of on talent, sometimes uh, your your mechanics do break down a bit. And that's immediately going to be seen in accuracy. So, you know, Texas is going to do a lot to try to retain these players. They've been uh, pretty aggressive in NIL space. And I'm sure Worthy has some deals. So all this could end up being nothing at the end of the day. You know, it could be one of those things where now that it's sort of coming out again, that he's maybe frustrated. You know, the, the boosters, the NIL, whoever is involved, they step up and they say, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll it'll get done. You know, have faith. Here's a, a little something extra. But he hasn't necessarily had a great year this year. And from an, an offensive fit, you think that, you know, if you're looking at the schools he may transfer to, USC would obviously be at the top of the list just because of the quarterback situation with Caleb Williams and the offense that they've run and what they've been able to do with Jordan Addison. And, and people will quickly say, well, Jordan Addison, you know, won the Blitnikoff. He's not going to win the Blitnikoff this year. Yes, he's been hurt uh, and he's had to share the load, obviously with other uh, players. Um, but nevertheless, he's still been very, very good. And he's still going to be uh, one of the top receivers drafted in the first round. You know, is he going to be the first guy drafted in the first round? I don't know. I mean, I have to look at the, the the mock boards and what have you, but I think he's definitely going to be a first round pick. And so, you know, from he's, that standpoint, he's hovering around that one or two uh, receiver off the board with the the TCU guy, Quentin Johnson, I believe, is kind of ascended as number one because Jackson uh, Smith in Jigba uh, from Ohio State has been banged up. He was projected to be number one, but yeah, it's yeah. still kind of those three guys. Jordan has. Jordan has popped up as the number one wide receiver off the board. So he'll have a chance to solidify that uh, with these last three games with him being back. But yeah, that that's kind of where he's fallen. Or and, stand. you know, the way USC has used him in so many different ways, you know, they've mm -hmm. really been able to showcase him, uh, not just as a, a, a standard outside receiver, but a, a slot guy. They've run the ball with him a lot. That's how he got hurt, if I recall was on one of those end-around plays. And so, you know, that offense, you know, with the receivers, I mean, they're using them all over the place. And that's 
something that I think going forward for USC is very exciting when you look at the commitments that they have uh, with specifically Makai Lemon and Zach Branch, because those two guys are burners. They're both very good with the ball in their hands. And Makai Lemon specifically is just uh, a dog. I mean, he's a guy that uh, I think in that offense for USC on those end around plays and those bubble screens and what have you, is going to be a guy that's going to be hard to keep off the field, you know, a more athletic sort of Amon Ra St. Brown. We've seen like maybe the, 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 what we talked about maybe being the poor man's Amon Ra St. Brown and Michael Jackson, when he was coming out of high school, how you could kind of say, you know, Makai Lemon might be the, the, the creme de la creme. He's like the, the better version of like uh, Amon Ra St. Brown, you know, more athletic. He's got a lot, a lot of those same attributes. He's not as polished. Is Amon Ross St. Brown was coming out of high school, but uh, he's a little bigger and he's a little faster. And so that's going to be something that from a, a receiver standpoint is going to be very interesting to see USC next year. And if you're able to get in a guy like Worthy uh, when you're going to lose um, Jordan Addison, and we'll see what happens with uh, the, the rest of the receivers that, that USC has, you know, they're pretty, pretty loaded. You know, they're going to bring back a bunch of those guys that they have. So it's not necessarily like they need to bring in a bunch of guys like they did this past year, but you're, you're probably going to lose Bynum. Um, I'm not sure where he is with his eligibility in terms of COVID. He might have an extra year for that. Uh, but, you know, you've got guys that they want to leave. Um, I just don't know if they have the numbers to really leave. Bynum really has, don't, doesn't have the numbers to leave early. So if he can come back, I'd have to imagine he would come back. Uh, but still, there's still potential of transferring and going maybe, you know, down to sub uh subdivision schools and, and what have you. So there's still a lot of stuff that can happen with the roster, but um, you know, I, I would think worthy would be probably a pretty good fit for USC. Hypothetically, you know, hypothetically, he's not in the transfer portal now, but yeah, there's definitely some smoke here uh, with this. It's not just, uh, you know, some random person just putting up the message board because Texas's offense is not playing well. And Oh my God, why would he want to come back? It, it goes a little deeper than that. And as I mentioned at the top of this segment, there will be more in the war room for you filthy casuals. Maybe sign up for the useful.com. You could do that for a dollar. We also have a Black Friday sale coming up. So just a plug for all those non-members listening to this podcast. And Gerard, good job. Good job not uh, you know spilling everything. So I, I applaud you. <laughs> Tippy-toeing around. Uh, Tippy-toeing the, the portal. Details of the, uh, the worthy. The worthy. Uh, gossip and rumors that are out there right now. Absolutely. And, you know, the the topics we've talked about at the top of this show have been more broad, just kind of looking and where USC plays into, you know, more national storylines with players and such. But let's get into more specifics for the Trojans in our, our kind of our next stuff, because these are kind of the small uh, tidbits from, you know, USC recruiting offers and top schools. We have uh, a handful of those to get through. Uh, I want to start with the top schools just because they're quicker to do. But USC made the the top schools for uh, four-star uh, 2023 uh, safety, Tyler Scott, top seven for, for him. Uh, they made it with Auburn, Alabama, Louisville, Tennessee, Michigan, and Texas. And Scott's a guy who USC offered, I believe, last month. And it's just been blowing up with offers, I believe. USC is expected to get uh, an official visit from him, which is a good sign as, as someone who has received a lot of attention 
for some big names, as you can tell by that uh, offer list. Four-star wide receiver out of Millican, Jordan Anderson. Uh, USC made his top 11, along with Washington, Georgia, Texas, Michigan, Oregon State, Cincinnati, Utah, Tennessee, Oregon, and Colorado. Not surprised, you know, USC has been a big school for him ever since he picked up the re-offer uh, from Lincoln Riley and that staff after he had a really good performance at USC's Rising Star Camp in front of Lincoln Riley, went up in his office and got the offer there. So USC, I expect to be a player for him down the line as long as they keep, you know, recruiting him. And then the big one, number one edge rusher, five-star, uh, South Point Catholic, Tucson, Arizona, edge rusher, uh, Elijah Rushing in the 2024 class. He put USC among his top 12, I believe. Yes, uh, that included Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Oregon, Tennessee, UCLA, Washington. So, you know, a bunch of major Power 5 offers for the Arizona edge rusher. Having a really good season right now, a really good uh, junior season, 60 total tackles, 10 and a half sacks for the nation's number one edge rusher. That is in our 24-7 sports uh, rankings. So some top schools list, you know, we don't report on them all the time, Gerard, because they're not the most uh, they're not the most uh, compelling thing to, to talk about. But, you know, we let them build up and then we release a bunch of them. But USC in the makes a cut for a wide range of players here uh, in rushing Anderson and Scott. Anything you want to say about those three? Well, rushing, they got to get on campus. Yeah. You know, he hasn't been to USC. I think since last spring, I think it was at some point he was there on campus. And I don't think he got offered a scholarship, actually. We took his unofficial visit during the spring. That offer came later on. And I don't recall him actually being on campus at all during the summer and has not been to any games that I recall. So they need to make a harder push for him. I think maybe there's a little bit of skeptical, maybe on the fence. And, you know, with that offer, I was really shocked totally upfront that he did not get that scholarship offer when he unofficially visited USC. Cause I think it was like the next week or so he was at the Under Armour camp and we watched him and it was like, this guy's an offer guy. I mean, this guy we kept saying they're going to offer him. They're going to, they're going to offer him like, this is going to happen. And I'm surprised it didn't already happen. So that's interesting that they just have not been <clears throat> super aggressive with him at all. And, and him not being on campus. Yeah. You know, you make his top 17, top, top 33 or whatever it is. That's fine. But, yeah, if, um, you know, it's a guy that USC wants, uh, then, you know, they're going to have to push a little harder, get him on campus. He took an unofficial visit, I believe, to Oregon last weekend as well. So another one of those top players that was at Oregon, uh, you want to get him on campus at USC. He's not that far away. At Tucson's not a guy that, you know, um, it's it's the longest drive in the world. Um, for the others, I mean, obviously with Tyler Scott being uh, a cornerback slash safety, that's in the 2023 class. He did say that he wants to officially visit USC. So, you know, top seven, really USC's top five uh, right now, it seems like. Um, you know, does he come in for the Notre Dame game? Does he come in, you know, one of those weeks with December? We're not really sure if USC is going to have two weeks uh, with the uh, early signing period uh, or is it going to be one week? You know, how, how is it going to play out? Because if you're playing in the Pac-12 championship game, then you're going to get one less week to bring in 
recruits. Even though the Pac-12 championship game is on a Friday, more than likely you're probably not going to bring in uh, official visitors that week. So this is going to be interesting. You know, last year <clears throat> at this time, USC didn't have a head coach, and Lincoln Riley, you know, didn't get hired till you know right before December there, and so. Uh, they were able to get like one week, I think, where they had some unofficial visitors on campus and they brought in uh, a bunch of those guys. And, you know, that was uh, uh, like all they really could do. Um, I don't think we had any official visitor weekends before the early signing day, if I recall. I think it was just that one weekend where they had Relique Brown and CJ Williams and, and some of those guys come in unofficially. You know what? Maybe I'm telling a lie. Maybe C.J. Williams did officially visit USC. Gosh, I can't really remember if they had a week where they actually did bring in. That you know was what? A no, they did. They did have because they had a week where Jamar Kane was still a part, technically, of the USC coaching staff at that point, and they hosted Earl Barquette and a bunch of those guys. So they did have that one. That I'm, I'm, I'm telling a lie here. They did have one week Shame where on they you. did have official visitors. Um, Shame on you. Yeah, and then they had the week that they had the unofficial visitors come in and they had David Bailey in that group and they had a bunch of those players. And David Bailey's another guy going back to the previous topic that we talked about is a guy where there's a little bit of smoke about him potentially uh, transferring to USC from Stanford. Now, you know, I, I haven't really heard that behind the scenes. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just talk because Stanford's been so bad. You know, I don't know that there's going to be a big, change in the coaching staff up there and that's kind of what starts to you know erode uh, whether a, a, a player wants to stay at a school or not you know he starts to really look at it and go wow these are all, all these new coaches coming in I don't have relationships with these guys anymore and that was one of the big keys in that recruitment we talked about this you know with the Stanford week with David Bailey that that was a huge edge that Stanford had over USC's because USC brought in a whole new staff and I don't think that staff really recruited uh, David Bailey very much at Oklahoma. And so, um, you know, that was one of the big things that sort of tilted things. But David Bailey, you know, he's told me many times coming out of modern day high school, I want to balance. I want I, I want to go to a good school academically, but I also want to win some championships. I want to at least play for some championships, play for a good football program. That is not what Stanford is. And so, you know, he's looking down the street back home, you know, maybe perhaps – he starts to think about, well, maybe I could transfer to USC and end up at USC after it's all said and done. So, I mean, that would obviously be huge, you know, <laughs> worthy and David Bailey, but we don't want to get our head of ourselves here. Um, just understand that just that potential of those things happening, how that can turn a recruiting class upside down. We're talking about USC being number 13 nationally right now. That's an okay recruiting class. You know, they've got some big time players at the very top. And then they've got some like, okay, players, you know, at, play, at, at positions where they, they really do need to interject some immediate talent, you know, some 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 guys that uh, can uh, play right away, you know, as freshmen or as transfers. But, but the latter, that, that sort of changes the game a bit. And um, we just don't know what that pool of talent is going to look like. So, again, with a guy like Tyler Scott, who, you know, we talked about the depth chart at defensive back. And it's funny because it's it sort of, you, you think off the top of your head, okay, you're going to le lose Malachi Blackman. Every year you want to get top players, right? Every year you want to get uh, a, 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 an impact player at every position, I, I would think. With every class, you, you sort of want to do that. 
I don't know if USC is quite there yet to where they can stack those positions, but when you look at what they have, they got a lot of young players back there. You know, they've got got like a lot of sophomores, and they've got some redshirt freshmen in that defensive secondary. And it's not a position where I necessarily think that you've got to go and just grab some bodies to grab some bodies. Now Tyler Scott has blown up here in uh, the the past month or so, but you know, is he really a guy that you think is going to come in? and push some of those players. Now, potentially USC could lose some transfers. In fact, I would anticipate they'll lose some guys in the defensive secondary. But for the most part, those are going to be more depth guys. So, yeah, I mean, maybe a guy like Tyler Scott, from a standpoint of he's not going to play next year, maybe he's going to play you know, two years in the program. You look at that. But it's really hard to necessarily project, seeing that you know, Latrell McCutcheon, sophomore, he's playing quite a bit right now. Jalen Smith, sophomore. He's playing quite a bit right now. Uh, Kalen Bullock, sophomore. He's obviously star of the secondary. Uh, Bryson Shaw, sophomore. He's he's playing quite a bit right now. Um, the the general rotation that they have, even Anthony Beavers, um, Zamirian Gordon, who played a lot uh, uh, Saturday, or excuse me, Friday, because uh, Max Williams went out. He's another, I think he's a redshirt freshman, actually. I don't think he's a sophomore. So you've got a very underclassmen heavy secondary and I don't necessarily think that's a position where USC's got to like scramble um you gotta you know try to find somebody that can replace Makai Blackman he might already be on the roster I mean you've got Damani Jackson you've got some good players but you do want to replace that talented player with a talented player and so I think the cornerback position is you know a little bit of a question you've got Malachi Crawford that's committed he could play uh safety or he could play cornerback um and you're still out there after Roderick Pleasant the 5'10", 185-pound cornerback from Sarah High School, four-star, a track athlete, a guy that you know certainly a, a lot of people are after and USC probably the lead school for. So, But USC's not, you know, they're, they're Dante Williams continuing to cultivate options. It's one of those things where, you know, they want to get some offers out there to the good players and they seem like they still want to bring some guys in. But again, you know, from a portal standpoint, Makai Blackman has played himself into the draft He's a guy that, I, I mean, there's a few guys on this team that have had really good years that have shown player development. Uh, we'll talk about another guy on the offensive line who's done that later on in the recruiting angle for the Colorado game. But Makai Blackman is still a guy that's playing really well. I mean, he's absolutely played himself way higher into the draft than he, he was coming in to USC. And does that is that something that you can sell on the recruiting trail with the poor bowl guys, with the transfers, you know, everybody's like, okay, you got to bring this guy and bring this guy. And all of a sudden some dude pops up from the sec or from some school that is a ready-made, he's going to come in and he's going to be a dude. And all of a sudden you take him, <laughs> you know, and that sort of changes the, 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 the whole outlook on your recruiting board when you're looking at high school players. So again, we, we just have to sort of wait and see how that goes. But um, those plug and play players, I mean, USC, uh, with maybe a couple other schools have shown that those guys can hit the ground running at USC. You know, the offense at USC with Jordan Addison and Williams and Caleb Williams. I mean, those guys, they don't even have that. Like Caleb Williams and Mario Williams have a year in the system. Okay. So they're sophomores still not necessarily like they had a lot of time in the system, but they at least had it at Oklahoma. But so many of these other players that we're looking at that have had good seasons, Travis died. These guys, this is their first year in the offense, man. <laughs> and the offense itself is is probably a little different 
than what it was at Oklahoma. So even for Caleb Williams and for Mario Williams, there's a little bit of an adjustment. But the offense has been so good that, I mean, that's that's what you want as a transfer. If you're a guy and you are a, an award-winning level player, right, like a Jordan Addison, you're looking at what what's the guarantees here, you know, because the grass is always greener on the other side. And for a guy like Jordan Addison, the lead pit, Man, that's tough. That's hard. You know, I won Blitnikoff here at this school, but this, that that team is not the same team now, and you start to feel that. And I think with some of those guys, maybe we will have to wait till May and that portal period for some of those guys to go through, through spring ball and see what Jordan Addison saw. You know, he saw Keen Slovis. He saw the quarterbacks that were there at Pitt that took over, and it was like, this is not the same offense we're going to have, man. This is going to be a struggle. Like, we've lost some dudes. I think I want to go somewhere else where it's going to be a little more dynamic and I'm going to have a chance to to win more as well. Like, that's part of it. And so, you know, what Lincoln Riley has shown with these players that he's plugged in. And, and to, to a large extent, the defense can do that too because you've got Eric Gentry there. You've got Makai Blackman. Brand new scheme for them. They've never played in that scheme before. And they've plugged in and they have played lights out this season, that is going to attract further guys that are of that level of talent, if not better. I just want to say, everyone listening to that, that was an incredibly uh, impressive speech, I would say, from Gerard, because I believe he started talking about Tyler Scott's top seven, and then we ended up to wherever he just ended right now. Yes, I apologize. We were talking (laughs) about top schools, but it did tie in to Tyler Scott. Sure, it always ties in. I'm just it saying it's impressive when you get there. It's it's he's a 2023 prospect that is he's not a like four high four star five star level guy. You go, this is one of our top guys. We're trying to get him. He's not even Roderick Pleasant from that standpoint. He's a guy, he's a guy that got a late offer. And you kind of wonder, okay, do, do you need to go after that guy? You know, if you're a Trojan fan, you're like, okay, I mean, he's he's blowing up lately. Yeah, it's another body. And and certainly the Trojan coaching staff knows more than we know in terms of what they may lose to the portal, right? That's the, the part of it that's sort of the unknown. And to them, there's a certain unknown to it because, like I said, sometimes you're the last school to know whether a guy wants to transfer out. Now, that tends to be with the players that are good, that you don't want to lose. The guys that you kind of maybe want to shake loose, you're going to know, okay, they're not playing. You know, you're a junior now. Eh, it's probably time to go to another school to try to get some playing time. And maybe you can salvage some type of career and you can be a, 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 a drafted free agent or what have you. So there's a little bit of understanding like, like, okay, this is what the board really looks like on our depth chart at defensive back. So Tyler Scott is one of those guys that's interesting just because I can see him, you know, being a guy that's like, okay, it's a nice get towards the end of signing day or um, a guy that gets completely knocked off the board altogether because you could swoop in and bring in a guy that's a, you know, a a three-year starter or something from some other school. And he's top level dude that you're going to plug and he's going to play right away. And so that's where that comes in when we start to get in to all this talk. And, And this is going to segue ourselves into the new offer segment, because this is the same thing. Tyler Scott, just came out with his, you know, his top seven. We have some other guys that have offers here. And again, it seems like USC is definitely still pushing into the high school ranks with defensive backs, even though they're pretty sophomore heavy 
uh, redshirt freshman heavy on the defensive uh, secondary board. Yeah, and I think they would expect some. I think we've alluded to this that there sh- will be some uh, transfers out, especially in the secondary. So it could just be a case of trying to build that depth, get some some bodies in for practice and such. Even though they do have a lot of good depth right now, I think we're going to see some departures from the secondary. But as you alluded to, there are a handful of new offers, uh, a lot of 2023 offers out of this group. But just to start, there was a, there's four-star cornerback and Utah commit CJ uh, Blocker, number 28 cornerback prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings, a 90 rating in uh, the 24-7 sports rankings, track and field guy. He is a recent offer. Uh, Rylan Kennedy out of Texas, a three-star edge prospect, six foot four, 210 pounds out of Mansfield, Texas. He has, you know, Washington. He has Colorado offer, San Diego State, USC, definitely one of the biggest ones that has pulled the trigger on him. Uh, 2023 edge prospect Tyler Wayne also, uh, excuse me, not also out of Texas, out of Nolansville, Tennessee. He's six foot five, 235 pounds. He has recently blown up with some offers. He's got Oklahoma, Missouri, Kentucky, Ole Miss also recently just offered him in addition to USC. But an interesting uh, two edge offers out of that group. He has a crystal ball to Oklahoma at the moment. And then a 2024 offer out of Landisville, Pennsylvania, David Pale Pale, uh, 6'3", 288 pounds, defensive lineman, uh, three-star, number 40, Defensive lineman in 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, it's got offers from Penn State, Kentucky, Louisville, Maryland, Miami. Literally just offered him like 20 minutes ago. And USC, a dream school for him. I actually talked to uh, David earlier this week. I'll have a story out on him. I've actually talked to three of these four newly offered guys. So, yeah, just catching up with these new guys and seeing how they feel about the Trojans. Well, spit some facts. What uh, does it look like, particularly for the 2023 recruits here? Because, as I was just saying, um, this is one of those things where they're late offers and you're looking at the board and you're saying, okay, what does USC have right now? And what does this mean for, A, the recruiting board for the 2023 class and guys that they've already offered and they're already after? And what does it mean for the player? You know, the, the, the depth chart in terms of guys that are maybe lower on the depth chart and whether we are looking at some potential transfers. What do you read into uh, with, first and foremost, C.J. Booker? That's C.J. Booker offered and now Tyler Scott offered. Uh, C.J. Blocker. Blocker. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, Blocker, Blocker. Uh, yeah, I, I got the vibe talking to Blocker that he was one very genuinely excited to be offered uh, by the Trojans. This one seemed to be very quick. He said they only been talking for about a week before they, you know, hit him with that offer. He did get a chance to speak with Lincoln Riley, and he straight up told him, uh, uh, Riley told Blocker that he thinks he could be one of the missing pieces, one of the last missing pieces for this 2023 class. And that specifically kind of tells me that he's not, he seems to be a legitimate, like, not high-end, but they want him for this class. And, you know, he was saying things like, uh, as of right now, he plans to take a visit to USC. Doesn't have it locked in. 
but he says they, they're talking about getting him on campus for a visit. The only other visit he has right now is TCU, and it sounds like if USC wants to play for him, they will be in position for him, or at least, especially if they get him on campus. Um, he is not going to sign in December, so he has a little more time. He's a classic track guy that usually don't sign into February, and so that's his plan right now. He's not going to be an early enrollee. He's going to sign in February, so there is a little bit more time to work with C.J. Blocker, but he's a guy who's risen up the rankings recently. He's a consensus four-star prospect. So, you know, this could be a guy who a lot of teams start to look at a little bit more closely as, you know, those options in February get a little slimmer, especially in the high school rankings. The the portal might have something to say about that, but this is definitely one of those guys who I could see picking up other Power 5 offers as uh, the, the, the weeks go by and we get closer to signing period. Yeah, he's a Houston area guy. And, you know, we talked about USC needing to replace Makai Blackman. And, you know, we know Roderick Pleasant is there, but that body type is a little different than Makai Blackman. And uh, Pleasant is a little different just in terms of profile from a lot of the uh, defensive backs that USC has been recruiting. They haven't been recruiting the biggest safeties. I think that for the most part, what we've seen is the safety position has been very similar to what you saw with Todd Orlando and Craig Niver. That the safeties that they're recruiting are sort of in that six-one range, six-two range, hundred ninety pounds. They're not the biggest guys in the world. They're not the Pete Carroll, you know, Taylor Mays type uh, safeties, uh, T.J. McDonald type safeties that are just big guys. Even Kevin Ellison. You know, was a guy that was like six one, like two hundred twenty pounds. Everybody thought that's going to be a linebacker at the next level. He's not going to play safety, but he ended up being a really, really good, strong safety for USC for many years. Uh, even Jason Leach, who Pete Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll uh, inherited from the Paul Hackett years, uh, was a guy that uh, was a very good player as well. And so, uh, it's a different approach in terms of defensive backs. It seems like. The defense is where you want to use three safeties, even sometimes four safeties. It's a very heavy safety personnel defense. They want guys that sort of all kind of look the same, you know. And we talked about like during the summer how USC was recruiting um, uh, Warren Roberson and how he was kind of the same player as Braxton Myers, who was committed to USC at that time. And there were both players that play cornerback in high school, were pretty physical cornerbacks, but were guys that projected more as safeties at the college level. And now neither of those guys really look like they're going to end up at USC. I mean, Braxton Myers is not going to end up at USC. He's committed now to Ole Miss. And Warren Roberson seems like he's going to probably end up at TCU. Uh, I've tried to follow up with him a few times during the season. It's just um, off the radar, uh, off the grid for USC at this point. Um, but I think that's just an, it's an interesting um, aspect to where they do seem to want to bring in that bigger cornerback, uh, that guy who's got a little more size to him. And Blocker is is like that. Tyler Scott is like that. Uh, Tyler Scott is, um, you know, in some people's view, a safety. So he fits that mold of Warren Roberson and Braxton Myers. And it seems like that's definitely that guy. Somehow, some way, USC wants to bring that guy in. It's going to be uh, either it's going to be blocker, it's going to be 
uh, Scott, if it's going to be Roberson, it's going to be that guy. That that That's a guy that they definitely want to bring in to that class. But I still sort of leave that door open for potentially bringing in somebody from the portal because with safeties particularly, USC's had a lot of success. I mean, there's two positions here, and this brings us into – the two to the two 2023 defensive end edge rusher offers USC has been very good at being able to go into the portal and get those guys as well. So are you going after high school guys? And is it just like, Hey, we're all in and we're going to offer a bunch of guys just to get some more bodies on the board because we might lose some people knowing that once that window opens, you could end up recruiting over that. I don't know. I don't know how that how that's going to work. I mean, obviously, you could do that for this early window, which will open up, I believe, December 4th, December 5th, something like that is when this initial portal window will open up. And then it will close 15 days and reopen back up in May. I think May uh, 1st is when it opens back up. Um, by the way, I'm... I'm Getting confused because May 1st was when you had to uh, – that was like a deadline last spring. Anyways, okay. I, anyways, I'll have to look at the dates or what have you. But there's another window of 15 um, days that's going to open up, and I believe it's in May. Uh, so you, you'll have that sort of post-spring ball group of transfers. So you don't want to necessarily stock up. You kind of have to have some headroom on your roster – if you want to be able to vie for one of those guys. Now, certainly it's not going to be the same position USC was in last year because you're just, I mean, that was a complete overhaul of the roster. You're not going to have that this year, but it will be interesting, I guess, from the standpoint of you could lose guys from spring ball as well. And maybe that gives you your overhead. So you're not so worried about it uh, coming out of the first portal window. You know, you're coming out of, the, the early signing period and even the late signing period in February, which, you know, you're saying that blocker is going to be one of those guys. We know that uh, five-star um, Washington, D.C. athlete Nicholas Harbor is going to be one of those guys as well. Another track guy. Um, they're not going to be early uh, mid-year signees. So uh, that even that February period, you're going to still have uh, like your roster is going to be set until you get in the spring ball. And then maybe you have more transfers, but you sort of always want to have now a little bit of headroom in that 85 class, because that's what it's about now. 25 per year doesn't matter. It's 85. So that 85 class, you always want to probably have like two or three spots open that you can bring some guys in. So that mm -hmm. late portal window, you have those 15 days and somebody pops up that it's like a dude. And it's like this, we, we, we have a relationship with this guy. We know we can get this guy. You know, you want to be able to bring him in if he's a guy that's going to be able to help you win a championship. Because, I mean, the, some of these dudes, I mean, you get two or three guys like that, it could be the difference between having, you know, a championship run and not having a championship run. Absolutely. Always got to keep some space uh, for those portal guys. And then just the other ones, you know, Rylan, I spoke with. I'll have a story on him soon, so I don't want to give away too much. But he is also uh, looking to take a visit to USC that hasn't been locked down CJ blocker seems more locked in to take a visit than Rylan at this point but he doesn't really have too many visits on the radar so he's wide open to take some so I I think USC does have a good shot though to get him on campus Brian Odom seems to be running point uh for that one but you know I watched some of his tape 
he looks legit like six foot four, maybe six foot five. Looks like maybe even a little bit bigger than his 210 pound uh, listing, but plays with his hand on the ground, plays, you know, upright like a like a rush end in this defense, uh, plays basketball and track guy, does the high jump. So he's got some athleticism. And, you know, his team, Lake Lake Ridge, I believe it's called, they're not very good. I think they were went four and six this year, but he definitely looked like a guy on, on tape when you were watching. So he, well, he's some... that, I, to, to interject here, that okay. was something else interesting about that. Um, and, and I don't know how much you spoke to him about what USC sees in him or, or what their vision is for, for him. But the fact that he's being recruited by Brian Odom rather than Roy Manning is kind of interesting because that would suggest that USC is looking at him more as an a, a actual linebacker, an inside linebacker, which on film, he plays almost exclusively at the line of scrimmage. I don't necessarily see the the linebacker like in, in much in space. You know, I don't see him playing much in space. Now, we've gotten these questions before. Who's the next Eric Gentry? Like everybody's out there looking for the next Eric Gentry that's a Trojan fan. You know, Eric Gentry is a bit of a unicorn. I don't know that you can just go find another Eric Gentry, but maybe this is what they see in Kennedy, a guy that's, you know, taller, lengthier, um, a basketball guy. Uh, but, you know, in, in, in terms of film, everything is off the edge, but they feel they're seeing something that suggests that he can play off the line of scrimmage, which is, you know, where Gentry is, is very uh, unique. I mean, the two places he's unique is the fact that he can play off the line of scrimmage. He can play in space. He's very fluid for a guy that tall, which is, you, you know, usually a linear player like that. You're just not going to have that sort of agility and balance and flexibility. Um, but then also he's very physical. I mean, the fact that he's playing Mike Linebacker in that system, he's a guy who will come up and hit you at 200, 210 pounds. And so you're putting a lot, you know, on that projection, trying to find that guy again. But maybe that's what they're seeing at Kennedy. Yeah, I, I definitely want to follow up and ask about kind of that relationship. I kind of thought maybe it was just Odom is an area recruiter there and had inroads. So that's what my interpretation was, because they did say or he did say that they said they liked his length and versatility. So, you know, it's possible they tried to move him back and, you know, maybe try an Eric Dentry uh, spot. But it also seemed very early and they didn't really have an idea for him. But I will I will follow up. Um, on that Ho- hopefully i'll try to get that for uh when i when i post my story this week um and then tyler wine wayne wayne i think it's tyler wayne uh he's had some offers blow up uh did get to talk with him a little bit but didn't get my interview portion of it so i'll follow up on him but just another interesting guy to offer six foot five 235 probably more of a true edge that we were kind of talking about um, a little bit heavier maybe more of a defensive lineman a guy you can you know, throw some more weight on and, you know, he's not overhanging uh, just like a true defensive line prospect. So we'll see on him. going to try to get him uh, on the line here. But, yeah, just another interesting offer for the edge position and see what they do with that uh, moving forward. So now we move into the college football coaching carousel, which has been less active. Got some well, we got something there. to talk about every week for it. There seems to be something uh, going on for, for every week. It bounces around, but this week is Arizona State. And just very quickly, you know, uh, Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, uh, his name has been 
coming up a lot for this job uh, over the last week or so. A lot of smoke there is him being a legitimate candidate. And, you know, there's rumors that, you know, if he were to get the job, he would keep interim head coach Sean Aguano uh, just for his, you know, recruiting ties to the area and help, you know, solidify that staff and uh, recruiting relationships in the area. So Dillingham is an interesting uh, candidate, high power offense at Oregon, uh, super young. I didn't realize he was only 32 years old. He's a year older than me, which is uh, wild to say uh, out loud. But hey, perhaps the next Arizona State uh, head coach, Gerard. Yeah, there's been uh, quite a bit of talk about him. I think that is more realistic, quite frankly, than Dan Landing going to Auburn. Uh, I just, you know, <laughs> we talked about that last week, and that just doesn't feel like the move that Auburn needs to make or would make at this point, seeing you know their history here in the last few years with coaches and you know what they're looking for. But you know, with Dillingham, I mean, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, it'd be something that would help them out. Uh, you know, Arizona State's in a in a very interesting place. Um, I think Aguano has done a very very good job. I mean, I mean, he's done a really good job. They're a little bit in a stopgap sort of era of football for the Sun Devils because you still have these potential NCAA penalties hanging over your head. You have the the changing of the guard when it comes to the Pac-10, which you know who's going to be the the the, the top of the food chain in that new conference when UCLA and USC leave. Um, you know you'll still have potentially Washington and Oregon there and what have you. But there's going to be a big dynamic that changes with that. And, you know, that even goes into talking about the transfer portal and sort of if that new conference becomes a bit of a farm system for USC going to the Big Ten. But that's, you know, another discussion for another time. But dealing at being young and, and, and being a good recruiter, you know, I, I can see them looking at that. I mean, you think about Lane Kiffin, you know, at that point when USC was going through sanctions and then them hiring Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, USC really kind of going for the younger unproven recruiter. And that's sort of where Ken, uh, Kenny Dillingham is. And so it would go along with that sort of strategy as, you know, look at we're, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of stuff. Established head coach is not going to walk into this situation. We need to get somebody that's, um, you know, young and, uh, you know, enthusiastic about his first job and can recruit and keep us afloat just with talent because we're going to need somebody to really grind to be able to get past you know, all the negativity and everything that's going on with, with this influx of uh, change that's hitting our program right now. Uh, and I think that's a good place to take our break, Gerard. We're a little behind on our uh, two hour and 20 minute uh, target for this episode, but we can make it up on the back half. Uh, but right now, we're going to take a little break. We'll get into some Week 11 college football scores, the recruiting angle, Friday night schedule, and then some questions. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back after this break.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right, all right. Gerard, how was your break? It was good. Uh, probably need to blow my nose at some point during this <laughs> podcast. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll power through. Okay, the man wants to power through. I didn't know if I was cutting there, but we're, we're going to go through it. Uh, just very quickly, we have some interesting Week 11 scores uh, just to hit on. Obviously, Oregon took that upset loss to Washington. 37-34, I got to watch the end of that game. A wild, entertaining game. Helped uh, USC gain control of their own destiny. Sets up for them just to win on Saturday against UCLA, and they're in the Pac-12 championship. Texas, TCU, we, we alluded to this earlier, uh, talking about their struggles on offense. TCU remained undefeated, 17-10 to over the Longhorns. And then Arizona took down UCLA in another upset, uh, 34-28, uh, over the uh, the Bruins, uh, kind of mucked up uh, the possibility of a top 10 matchup between UCLA and U- USC this week. But the Wildcats did their thing, still alive for bowl eligibility this season, and being scrappy under uh, Jed Fish, which is, you know, something that's uh, positive to see after one win last year. So, Gerard, just very quickly, any of those scores really jump out to you? I mean, they all jump out, <laughs> you know, it's like that's the three games that sort of mattered on the recruiting trail for USC. And we already talked about the Texas loss and how they lost. I think it really hurts them a, a, a bit. With, I, you know, I don't want to overemphasize, but it it's definitely not a good loss. The way they lost to TCU with those offensive recruits uh, there and, and, you know, Texas seven wins arc, you know, they, they really have struggled to get over that hump. And it's just a real question whether that's ever going to really be an elite program with Steve Sarkeesian as the coach, you know, and, and interestingly, there's a lot of patience there from Texas fans. Like even after last year, not being very good. And this year, sort of the same thing. um, There's, there's still quite a bit of people. I think they're just sort of fatigued from all of the coaching turnover that they've had there in Austin, you know, Charlie Mm -hmm. strong, Tom Herman, now see Sarkeesian, and there's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, turnover over the years, and I think people just want to find someone that they can settle in with, and um, you know they feel like Steve Sarkeesian is still young, and he's still a, a, a one of the better offensive minds in college football. Obviously, didn't show on the field uh, against TCU, um, but it's interesting because you know Texas like USC is going to be leaving that conference in the coming years. And you kind of wonder, okay, what's going to happen of the big 12? What's, what's it going to look like? Is there somebody going to step up and, and is it going to be TCU? And is TCU going to make that conference into a major conference? Whereas, you know, Texas is leaving, Oklahoma is leaving and everybody's saying, well, you know, the, the, the big 12 is going to basically disintegrate. It's going to become um, like a second tier conference. And maybe, you know, the, the divisions have to be sort of 
uh, re-categorized re and rearranged to some extent. And the Big 12 is not even going to be like a Division 1A conference anymore. Well, if TCU can keep, <laughs> keep winning like this, it's going to give them the ability to get their foot in the door with a lot of Texas recruits. And they're all of a sudden Texas is going to find out that you know, TCU is going to be somebody that they've got to fight tooth and nail with to be able to get talent away from. So it's a little interesting dynamic there happening in the, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area because, I mean, TCU is smack dab in the middle of that. Whereas, you know, Texas has always been the flagship program of the state, but it's down in Austin. There's not as much talent down there in Austin and San Antonio area as there is in DFW or as there in Houston. So it'll be interesting to see Sonny Dykes taking over that program. And again, you know, maybe that's the program that becomes the flagship of the Big 12. And if they're able to beat Texas head to head and Oklahoma head to head, um, then, you know, there's going to be some kids thinking, hey, you know, I could just go to TCU. I don't have to go to the SEC. And that's sort of the same thing with USC leaving the Pac-10, Pac-12. You know, uh, if USC is still looked at as the premier program and they're playing in the Big Ten, then they're going to be able to take advantage of that situation and regionally be able to pilfer a lot of the top talent from that conference. But, you know, if you have Oregon and Washington and those schools that are left behind, still able to play and beat a USC, they might be able to keep the reputation afloat of whatever becomes of the Pac-12 and still be able to recruit some of those players away. So it's a very interesting thing here we're seeing as these programs are, are getting ready to leave these conferences and how they move into these bigger conferences, which have been nationally, have a better reputation and, and obviously making a lot more money and have more resources you know, is it going to be able to tilt the scales? Because I will say this, UCLA and USC are really two of the only major programs that will be playing in the footprint of another conference, but not playing in that conference. So in other words, they're playing in the footprint of the Pac-12, which will become the Pac-10 and whoever, who knows what you know, will happen at the end of the day in terms of how many teams will leave and what have you. But they're playing in that regional footprint of the Pac-12, but they're going to be playing in the Big Ten. So that conference, if it is looked at as sort of a lesser conference, uh, just from a, a, a reputation standpoint, a lot of those top players that might end up, you know, going to Oregon and end up being guys that maybe USC just missed on in the recruiting process, they go to Arizona State, they go to Arizona, those guys are going to be looking and going, well, hey, man, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good in this conference. I'm going to go to USC and go play in the bigger conference. If that's, that's the sort of uh, the, the perspective of players and of fans and of everybody, um, that's going to be very beneficial to USC. I mean, right now, I would say like Texas A&M is probably the only comparison to where you have a school that is playing in the blueprint of a conference that they're not actually in, right? So they're in the blueprint. Uh, of uh, the, the footprint, I should say, not blueprint, I'm using the wrong word there, the footprint of the Big 12, but they're not playing in the Big 12. So, so they're actually getting to take advantage of, you know, we're in the SEC and this is a better conference. And so recruiting, um, you know, those players away from, from Texas and everybody else, um, now that's not going to, you know, be like that in the future because you're going to have Oklahoma and Texas joining them. But it's sort of a, I, I guess, the point being a, a cake and eat it too situation where, you're playing in another conference that's considered by many as a, a, a superior conference to the one that you're actually 
geolo- uh, geographically in the footprint of. So it's going to be interesting going forward how many teams join USC from that Pac-12. Uh, and if there's not really any of those schools, then you know the Pac-12 itself may become a bit of a farm system for transfers for USC in the future. All right, Gerard, we've reached that that time of the show. Biggest head I've ever seen, head like an elephant. Um, where you kind of break us down your recruiting angle. And for this week, uh, USC 55 over Colorado 17. And also, I have no idea why I played that song, but I haven't gotten to play it in a while. And I just I was going to wonder. I was like, I was just going to throw what, it what out that? there. Is that directed at me? No, I I just wanted to, I just wanted to, I just wanted to play it. You know, I sometimes it's just so funny. Biggest head I've ever seen. Head like an elephant. I just, I just wanted to play it. So I just wanted to play it for this one. So, you know, there's some positives. There's uh, less negatives than we've seen before. Uh, But uh, I'll let you choose where you want to start. Roll through the positives. It was a dominating win, which we have not seen the past two weeks. And I think the expectations were this stretch of the schedule. This is going to be where USC was able to rest some of their starters, which they did. I mean, they had some guys injured, so they did keep some of their starters out. But I think it was thought that they would be able to blow some of these teams out and have Caleb Williams in that first team offense and maybe that first team defense on the sideline and get to see some of the you know second and 13 players, and that obviously wasn't the way things went down in the Arizona and Cal games, but they did be able to get Miller Moss some snaps. Uh, you know, because of an injury, we got to see a little bit more of Darwin Barlow and Austin Jones, and I think that is probably maybe the biggest takeaway from this game is the team really seemed to gel and I think came out much more focused with Travis Dye going down, I think it sort of reset things. That first half was a bit of a mess for USC offensively. They did not play well. They weren't running the ball particularly well. Travis Dye goes down and leaves the game, uh, rushing for 2.9 yards a carry. That's the lowest total by far, I think, at any point in any game that USC has had rushing. And so it interestingly sort of, makes Lincoln Riley want to commit more to the running game, maybe because he just wanted to see what he had there with Austin Jones being the number one guy and really Brown uh, getting more carries and, and how they uh, responded with the offensive line and the run game really dominated. It was a really dominant run game. Uh, Austin Jones, they didn't run for a hundred yards, uh, but they still, I think Austin Jones ended up with like 79 yards rushing and uh, everybody was running over seven yards of carry. You know, everybody, uh, that got the ball. I think Barlow ended up with like eight something yards a carry. Uh, it was a really good preview, perhaps, of the future of the offense. And when you look forward to 2023 and even into 2024, when they're beginning getting into that Big Ten conference, USC has the opportunity to be a very good downhill running game. Um, they have Quentin Joyner committed. They have Amirian Peterson committed. Both. 200-pound-plus running backs, uh, guys that can run powerfully and physically. They have uh, offensive linemen like Alani Noah, 330 pounds, Amos Talalele, 330 pounds. Uh, you know, Elijah Page, who's probably like 305, 310 at this point. 
they've got more size coming in. They've got more power. They have to be good uh, being bigger, so they have to adjust. Right now, you've got guys like Brent Nilon and Justin Didich who are like 280, 285-pound linemen. They're smallish interior linemen. You're going to get bigger, and so you want to be able to run those GT counters, those guard tackle counters, and to have the movement that USC does in the run game with bigger players. If you're able to achieve that, you're going to be a much more physical run team going forward. And we just haven't seen USC really commit to the run very much this year. You know, we saw it at the end of the Washington State game. This was the first game where they really seemed to commit to the run game. They gave the ball to Austin Jones. They gave the ball to Darwin Barlow, somebody that we really like. I've always been a fan of Darwin Barlow. I'm, I'm a yes. big fan of the two. Yes, Darwin Barlow. Yes. The two TCU players. I, I'm a big fan of Earl Marquette, who has not seen a lot of time. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's like an injury or there's something going on, but that's a guy that flashes to me every time they put him in. And so with Darren Barlow, it's the same thing. Now, I will say this. Darren Barlow is not the best receiver. He's certainly not, you know, uh, Travis Dye. And he's not as good as Austin Jones as a receiver. And I think that's something that is sort of putting him down in the depth chart. And I think he's also a running back that needs consecutive carries to get going. He's a rhythm back. And with Travis Dye, the great thing about him, you can throw the ball nine times in a row and then hand it off to him and he can run for 17, 20 yards, just right. One carry, you know, he's been in there, not getting the ball at all. Great pass blocker. And then boom, he's more of a spot back. Uh, Austin Jones, I think is a little more of a spot back, probably not as much as Travis die, which is why we haven't seen him as much, uh, but he's also a very good receiver. And so I think he can be used in the, re- in, in the passing game a lot more uh, than Darren Barlow. So I think, that's why we haven't seen as much from him. I think with USC, you're going to use Darwin Barlow. you got to commit a little more to the run. But this offensive line has been really good against the run. I mean, they have been a much better run team than they've tried to be. I mean, I think I called them the best running team in the nation that runs the ball reluctantly. And so, you know, but we saw that in the Colorado game. We saw these guys step up, and we see what could be in the future. 2024, you're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, we know Caleb Williams is going to be off to the NFL, maybe the first player drafted in the NFL. You're going to have Malachi Nelson there or maybe a, a transfer. We're not sure how that you know all plays out. But even if it's Malachi Nelson and he's got a year uh, in the program, he's still going to be a first-time starter, and you're going to want to ease him in. You're going to want to have a strong rushing attack. So that's what we see here kind of looking forward when you see the pieces of the puzzle that USC has in the 2023 class and what they could get in the 2024 class with a very strong interior offensive line class on the West Coast, um, it's interesting. It's definitely a change in the type of personnel that they're going to be putting on the field. Another positive is the pass rush. If the pass rush is really good against Colorado, certainly you're seeing a much more stagnant pocket passer uh, in Stout, and and that's you know why USC was probably able to be a little better at uh, sacking him as opposed to maybe Arizona where, you know, you have uh, Jaden Delora who, you know, made UCLA look just as bad with his scrambles. Um, you know, Tuli, Tuli Polotu continues to be one of the top defensive linemen nationally. He's played himself, in my opinion, into the first round of the NFL draft. And that's a guy that you have to be able to recruit to replace, but you also have to use him to get some top players. You know, you've got to use him to get, uh, Mateo Ungulale. You know, we talked about this time and time again. I hate to rehash it, 
every single podcast, but I mean, that's the blueprint for you. That's the, Pound the table. Say, Pound the table. This is the dude you're going to come in for. I mean, he is, we've, we've developed him into a first rounder. He was a good player when he came to USC initially. He was a three star out of high school. You know, we've developed him. I'm sorry. He was a what, Gerard? He was a three star. And he leads the nation in sacks? He was a three star. And he, and he, laid, he leads the nation in sacks. And we liked him a lot. In fact, he right. was a, he was like a pound the table four star guy, except he went to the Polynesian Bowl and he just didn't do a lot. And I remember I was hounding Greg Biggins and Blair Angulo a little bit. I was like, "How's he doing? How's he doing? How's he looking?" And Ryan and, and you guys that went out, went out there for that, and it was like, uh, you know, he's just he's not having that that performance that you know is 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 gonna gonna push him up the rankings. But he was really good on film in high school. He was really really good on film, and his brother. Was a really good player, Marlon Tui Pelotu. People forget you know, Marlon Tui Pelotu was really a pretty good player at USC as well, and he was a five-star guy coming out of high school. So with you know Tuli, it's not a surprise that he's been dominant, but he's gone from being a good player that gets drafted in like the fourth round, fifth round, to a guy that's just dominating right now. And like you said, leading the nation in sacks. Um, yeah, Mateo Ngulele, you can be this guy. This is the guy you can be. We're using him all over the field, lining him up at linebacker, displaying his athleticism. That's what you want as a high school player. You want to be able to to show off that you can be more than just a guy with a hand in the ground. And that's what USC has done with Tuli Tuli Pelotu. They put him inside. They put him outside. They lined him up as a linebacker. They put him into coverage, even though that hasn't necessarily worked a whole lot. You know, all those different things. So you have to be able to replace him, but you do have something to sell on the recruiting trail to replace. What I think Trojan fans would like to see, and we talked about this at the top with guys like David Hicks and Caden Proctor visiting Oregon, is that your eggs are not all in that basket of Mateo Ungolele. You know, maybe they just feel that confident, you know, that you can look at it that way as well. And that was kind of what happened with Tackett Curtis. Mm-hmm. We were looking at the linebacker position and it was like kind of maybe want to bring in a couple more guys. You know, you got Ohio State there, you got Wisconsin there, and it seems like Ohio State has led for the most part for Tackett Curtis. And USC is like, nope, we feel good about Tackett Curtis. He's our guy. And they rode that, and they got him committed. So, you know, maybe they feel that way with Ungalale. I know there's some Trojan fans who are, like, closer to the family, and they feel like, you know, USC is still the lead school for Ungalale. I I know that coming from Bosco, and I know Greg Biggins and even, you know, I think Steve Wilfong all felt like Ohio State is still the lead school there. I mean, maybe we see a replay of Tackett Curtis. You know, maybe that's what this is all leading up to, that it's, you know, Ohio State, USC battle again, and USC goes 2-0 and against Ohio State for two of their top defensive players. I mean, that would certainly be a big deal for USC. You do see the defensive end offers there, and you kind of wonder, okay, you know, is this uh, this is interesting because USC has the commitment of David Peavy. They have the commitment of Braylon Shelby. I haven't heard much from Braylon Shelby, but you got to think that Texas is still trying to work on him. And with David Peavy, we know that he committed to USC. Oregon kind of dropped the ball there. There's potential that he could visit some other schools too. So perhaps, you know, that's a backup plan for that. Perhaps those defensive end offers is a backup plan for Mateo Ungulale. I would say this you need somebody right away to come in and help you on the defensive line 
uh, if you're USC. You don't need like three-star guys that are like, oh, we feel good about this kid. He's got some late offers. You need those. You need somebody that's going to come in and can do some. You're not going to get all of, but you can do some of what Tuli Tui Polotu has done this season. Because you're going to probably lose maybe Solomon Bird as well. You're going to lose Nick Figueroa. You're losing a lot of pass rush if you're USC, and that has to be replaced to some extent. And, yeah, the transfer portal is there, but that's been good for defensive ends. Okay, that's That's been a good position to be able to get guys. You got Solomon Bird out of the porthole. You got Romello Height. He'll be back next year. Hopefully the shoulder surgery goes well and he's going to be 100% next year. Um, but in terms of interior defensive linemen, you have struck out. You have not been able to find those guys, and that's really where you kind of have to down the line, you know, look at Mateo Ungole and some of these other players. You would like to see USC have just some other options on the table of some guys that are some 280, 290-pound interior defensive linemen that are some high four-star guys that you're going to be able to put in there next season that could potentially make an impact for you. So that's a positive for USC that, again, they have the catalyst there. They have the blueprint there in Tui Pelotu, but it's a negative in that, you know, there's really – there's not a lot of baskets out there <laughs> for USC mm-hmm. right now in terms of guys that, uh, you know, they have visiting or have been on campus uh, that they can recruit that are going to be potential replacements for that. Another positive, Mason Murphy. He's played tremendously well over the past few weeks. Competition level hasn't been great, so we have to acknowledge that. But from where he was at the beginning of the season when he had to come in for Bobby Haskins and he jumped off sides and he had some holding penalties, he's played much, much better. And that's uh, definitely another player development highlight for USC, which is big on the recruiting trail. And it's, it's a positive in that he's playing very well, perhaps maybe a little bit of a negative trying to recruit Caleb Lamu. Uh, and you're, you've got Elijah Page there in that, you know, maybe that right tackle or left tackle, one of those positions. You don't need the immediate, you know, impact player that we thought we did because maybe Mason Murphy is able to play that position, you know, possibly. I kind of still feel he's more right tackle interior type of player than he is that franchise left tackle, but he is playing well. So that's, you know, like I say, a positive and the fact that you've got some good player development on the offensive line and you've got a guy there that's a young player, redshirt uh, freshman, that's going to be able to be there and, and help solidify again that potentially really good run blocking offensive line in the future, like really looking at these guys and looking and seeing some guys that are some dominant run blockers on that offensive line, which is, is, is exciting for Trojan fans and tailback you uh, when you look in the future, but then possibly something that, you know, some other schools are going to say, Hey man, they got Mason Murphy there. You know, I, I don't think Mason Murphy's really going to scare away, you know, Caleb Lamu or, or if you're able to get, uh, you know, some other offensive um, tackle, you know, to be able to come in, whether it's a high school guy or a portal guy. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it is something that, you know, he's there, he's getting some reps. Um, and, and really for negatives, the only other negative, quite frankly, is probably it was a Friday game. And you weren't really re- really able to have a whole lot of good um, unofficial visitors there because most of the better players, Southern California, were playing playoff games. Um, obviously, Bosco and, and modern days of the world, uh, Long Beach Poly. Uh, Los Alamitos, et cetera, we're all playing Friday. So you're not able to bring in a bunch of guys. They did have a couple of interesting unofficial visitors. You got that list, Chris, so I'll let you kind of talk about some of those players that uh, they did make campus, uh, mostly 2024 guys that they're recruiting. 
Uh, but you know, some some decent uh, some decent names that they were able to bring in, e- even if it was not a big group. Yeah, it wasn't a big group, but I still felt like there was some some guys there. Obviously, Grant Bucky was on campus, uh, the top twenty twenty five, one of the top twenty twenty five prospects in uh, Southern California in the nation. Uh, Noah Mikhail, I believe Mikhail. you, Mikhail. I yeah, believe yeah. you've seen him play this year, Gerard. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, he was there. And then uh, Jamar Malone, who was a top uh, 2025 uh, quarterback out of Arizona, was on campus. He does not have the offer, but he was uh, definitely uh, – the staff was definitely showing him love. They brought him and Mikhail out early, and Lincoln Riley came out early, and they were chatting them up uh, in the end zone, both of their families. Mikhail was there with his entire family. Malone was there with his dad. So they were uh, just you know getting some valuable one-on-one time with him. Uh, Coach Riley and uh, Brian Odom was brought over to talk to Mikhail and other guys there. Michael, uh, I'm going to butcher the last name. Uni, I believe that was the uh, uh, the big a big offensive tackle out of uh, Texas. 2024, six foot six, 280 pounds, and looked every bit of that. Uh, he was there. He was legit wearing a USC crew neck sweater. He was having a good time. Uh, Three star. Uh, SoCal tight end uh, Decker DeGraff he was in attendance and then there was a bunch of uh, random junior college uh, teams there uh, I believe uh, Mount Sac was there there was a cornerback uh, from Long Beach City College that was in attendance uh, Thaddeus Dixon he's a I believe he's a I believe he's a like midseason Juco All-American cornerback so that's an interesting name uh, out there, and there were some other uh, JUCO teams there. So while it was a Friday, there were still some uh, interesting names in attendance uh, on the sidelines. Yeah, you know, the JUCO All-American cornerback, I don't know much about. Uh, what is he rated? Is he Does he have a ranking? He does not have a profile. Uh, he does not have a profile. He does have so. a profile. Oh, he does? That. Is that Yeah, new? I've looked up his profile, but he was not rated in that profile. So... I think that was his high school profile. I don't think that's ah, that from, would explain why. Yeah, junior college. But that, again, we're talking about Makai Blackman. And ah, yes, at a Paramount, Paramount, Paramount. What is the approach to, uh, to, to replacing him? You, you know, you really have that ability to potentially go into the porthole and grab some guys that can play right away and it's got to be very tempting for the coaching staff because i just know so many of these coaching staffs are like yeah we're going to go with the proven guy and junior college not the same not not proven not you know it's junior college it's certainly not college level and you still have to deal with all the sort of transcripts and academics and it becomes even stickier we know that with with usc and ucla and, and, and quite a few schools it's very difficult for them to recruit a lot of juco players it's just it's it's all about you know trying to figure out what classes they've taken um you know do those classes actually count you know towards whatever particular section of what they need you know in terms of requirements whether it's math english um history foreign languages etc there's all these little rules and, and really junior college through all of the changes with the transfer portal have been hit the hardest because there's just so many schools that are going to like, no, we do not want to take 
a, a, a waiver on a kid at a junior college, which, you know, it's really hard to know what the, the competition level really is like. And you're, you're dealing with, you know, even more academic issues where, you know, maybe coming out of high school, they had issues and you got to go all the way back to high school to, to know, you know, what classes did you actually take? And did you actually make those up at junior college? It, it's a whole thing. You know, is he going to be mid-year? Does he have the credits? Oh, no, he can't be at the last minute. We've seen that quite a few times where guys were, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, be there in January for spring ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get pushed back to June. So, and that changes a lot uh, for you, you know, when you're looking at uh, how valuable uh, that player is or where that player is on your board, you know, in comparison to a high school player. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting uh, that uh, USC's, you know, kind of sniffing around JUCO ranks and what have you, um, knowing that, um, you know, the porthole could be very good for them uh, at, at some of those positions, particularly on defense. The question with the portal always is, though, what is that pool of talent going to look like? You know, how good are you at projecting and getting your ear to the ground? And this goes back to the Steve Wilfong um, tweet. At, like who's going to actually be out there? You got to have almost, a, a, you know, your recruiting staff. You got to have people on that. You got to have people that have good connections that sort of know what's about to happen before it happens. Because once it happens publicly, you're already behind. And so you got to have a little bit of an idea. And that's why it's the the players that have prior relationships with coaching staffs. They have friends on the team. You know, Jordan Addison, that was more than likely that started to rumble with Caleb Williams because he's a Maryland guy, you know, and they have uh, uh, some 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 relationship there. He also worked with stars a lot. So you got a lot of those guys that worked out together. And so when you got all these relationships and things like that, players talking to players, it makes it much easier to be ready and be prepared and know what your board might look like and how that's going to impact these high school guys that are going to commit here in the next few weeks. And to my knowledge, I mean, I was looking at it the other day. I think the early signing period for high school players this year is December 21st through the oof. 23rd. So oof. It's, yeah, oof is right. Yeah. Thank you. Why don't you just have it on Christmas NCAA? <laughs> Tell us that you don't have a soul and you don't celebrate anything without telling us. Uh, yeah, so 21st through the 23rd, so that'll be delightful for, for us uh, to work right up into the to the to the end of Christmas Eve. Um, that that's so that's a little that's pushed back a little more than it usually is because usually like the 15th the 16th, I think is uh, it probably said you something with a portal, right? I'm talking about the early signing period for high school players. Yeah, the but portal, I'm just saying because they opened it on the fifth, so it's like give it a little more time. Yeah, I think that might be why they backed it up. But I mean, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's just like we're going to be, you know, you, everybody's trying to do stuff for the holidays and whatever. And you got family and it's like, yeah, but you're going to be working. So get used to it. So that that's that's basically how it's going to be uh, this year. If that indeed is the date, because that's all I could see looking at the schedule. Um, it was the 21st to the 23rd. So you're going to have the poor hole window open up before that and again it's good i mean if there's a we just don't know if, if there's going to be like this surge of really good players that decide to transfer out it's going to turn recruiting classes upside down on their head i mean you're going to see like 
there could be some, some highly rated guys that decide, I'm not, I mean, they're going to get this guy. Like, let's just say, for instance, okay, we're just hypothetically, David Bailey pops in to the transfer portal, okay, early window. That's going to change what your defensive end board looks like. And does that have effect now on David Peavy and maybe Braylon Shelby who are going, well, yeah, I mean, this guy is a sophomore. <laughs> he he's a, he's, you know, looked at as one of the best players in the Pac-12. I, I think he's probably up for being first team uh, Pac-12 defense. I, I don't know what his stats are off the top of my head, but I know he's had a really good year. He had a good game against USC. He's probably going to be at least like first team, second team on Pac-12. So, you know, does that all of a sudden change things? I, I think for, you know, some teams, they probably would like some of the better players to be in the porthole in the second window, you know, later in the spring, because then, you know, you sign your high school class, you get your high school class together, and then you can go and, and you've got those guys secured. But of course, you know, it'll just lead for potential transfers down the line. And certainly, like I said, that second window is going to be a bit of questionable because you, it's going to depend on how many guys you have uh, that you can bring in. You know, what overhead do you have on your 85 roster? Uh, that could be manipulated somewhat with spring ball. Guys don't get uh, reps. You know, they're not playing in the scrimmages or whatever. And that's that sort of plays itself out. But, yeah, it, it's it's tough. That The only thing about the portal that's tough is you just don't 100% know who's going to be in there and who's not going to be in there. And even going through that process, you know, last year with some of the big names that we were hearing that didn't end up in the portal, you know, you wonder, okay, was was USC thinking that some of those guys were going to be in the portal? And that's why they didn't pull the trigger on maybe other transfers or maybe go after you know, other recruits. Uh, yeah, I got caught up in what you were saying. But yes, whatever you were saying, I agree. <laughs> You didn't get caught up on what I was saying. You got caught up on something else because if you, you were caught up on what I was saying, you would have known I'd stop saying what I was saying. I, I was saying – I was trying to say that David Bailey has 40 tackles, okay. 7.5 tackles for loss, uh, 1.5 sacks, and two forced fumbles. So I mean 1.5 sacks is not that impressive. I mean uh, 7.5 tackles for loss as a true freshman is pretty good. Not bad. I mean he's getting a lot of time on a, on a bad team. Um, he's a good player. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, it's um, again, it's it's just hard to to project. You know, would would getting him to transfer in would that you know impact the guys that you already have committed, or you know, would it not? Can could could you be able to slide that in and, and both? And yeah, it's uh, it's going to be pretty wild. But um, the early signing period is going to be a little later on, so it's going to give the high school kids an idea of what transfers are out there and, and what that window looks like mm -hmm. moving on to Friday. Night oh, Blitz. I, I, I thought you cut out. I'm going to be completely awesome. I thought you cut out because that just I did. dropped. So let's, let's get on it. Cause we, we, we lingered too long on the, uh, the angle, which we always do Uh Friday night light schedule. Yeah. Run me For down, run weekend, it down, run it which down. is going to be uh, really the third round of the CIF playoffs. Um, but it is the second round for some teams because they had a bye week. Uh, Modern Day will be playing at Los Alamitos in the San Ana Bowl, 7.30, Bally Sports. going to be the game of the week. Los Al uh, with uh, you know, Malachi Nelson, Kai Lemon, T.A. Cunningham going up against the big dogs. 
modern day. And we saw this matchup actually seven on seven at USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, a great matchup. It went down to the wire. Los Alamitos won. But guess what, Chris? This isn't seven on seven. This isn't seven on seven. The big boys are going to be there for modern day. And this is going to be a very tough game for Los Alamitos to win. Um, I would definitely project uh, modern day to win this one. They're playing. This is the last season of Bruce Rawlinson. He is going to retire after the year. So they are playing inspired football. Uh, it's going to be tough to beat those Monarchs this year, boy. It's going to be tough to beat those Monarchs. So uh, modern day, Los Alaminos at the Santa Ana Stadium. It's uh, probably already sold out, but uh, you will be able to see it on Ballet Sports. Hosted, or co-hosted really, by Greg Biggins, uh, 24-7 national recruiting analyst. Our friend Greg Biggins is going to be there. So you'll be able to check that out on television if you can't get a ticket. St. John Bosco will be playing at Mission Viejo. A very interesting game. I like Mission Viejo. I knew Mission Viejo would be a very good team this year. I think they'll give Bosco some fits, but I think Bosco, at the end of the day, probably a little bit too much talent to overcome. Uh, But Mission Viejo gets here after beating Centennial. So uh, they went out to Corona Centennial and beat Centennial. And uh, obviously a very good football team. And now they got to play St. John Bosco. But to get them at home, I think that'll be a pretty good game. But I Chad Johnson Bosco. versus old team. Oh, yeah. They are good friends. Uh, <laughs> those programs like each other a lot, uh, from what I hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that will be... A Maybe future modern-day head coach, Chad Johnson. I kind of forgot about that. A lot of people saying Troy Thomas from Servite, because he is just resigned from Servite, might mm-hmm. be taking over the job at modern day. He was on the short list. Matt Logan was also on that short list. You know, I'm a big fan of Matt Logan just as a person, really. Um, Apparently he uh, said no interest. You know, he lives in Huntington Beach. I don't know, man. No interest. You know, we've heard that before. Uh, We can report that Jim Moore Jr. has uh, turned down the job. So you guys know that. Got Uh, that. Yeah. On record. Here to hear first. Has their head coach safe. Uh, Losing gear is going to be playing out here in the IE. They're going to play Etiwanda, which should be an interesting game. We don't see losing her very much in the IE. Orange um, won their game last week, which we actually filmed, and we have a little bit of that film. I don't know we have a whole lot of Jet White because, you know, it just wasn't a very active game for him. But uh, they were able to beat uh, San Juan Hills, which I was surprised it was a, it was kind of a blowout. Uh, I thought San Juan Hills would, um, you know, really give him a tough game and really wasn't a tough game. Uh, they're going to be playing uh, Loyola at El Medina High School in Orange uh, uh, Friday. Carlsbad and Lincoln playing at Snapdragon Stadium. This is actually the Open Division Championship game in San Diego. So it's a little odd. Some of the other San Diego teams are still playing playoff games or like in the semifinals. But this is the Open Division Championship game. So Carlsbad versus Lincoln. Lincoln beat Madison for the second time in three weeks, and they'll be playing at Snapdragon Stadium. This is going to be a tough game for Lincoln. Uh, Carlsbad is very good. Um, they've got uh, that five-star quarterback committed to Alabama, Julian Sand, who USC has not really recruited, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, but the 2024 quarterback, we saw Carlsbad play against uh, Bakersfield Liberty with Grant Bucky, Bucky. earlier yeah. in the year. And uh, they they took it to Liberty pretty good. So I think it's going to be a tough game for Lincoln. Lincoln's got more talent for sure. But Lincoln, uh, I don't know if they they just have the cohesiveness and the system that uh, Carlsbad has. I mean, they they, they throw the ball around. Um, they've got that really good receiver 
Um, Zach, is it Zach Barnett? Oh, Marshall. Man, what? Marshall. Zach Marshall. Zach Marshall. Okay. Zach Marshall, who's committed to Michigan, who's a big receiver, a good receiver, a guy that USC has not looked at at all. I mean, I don't know. Lane, if Jacoby Lane's looking around and he, he wants to go visit Texas, uh, I'd be making a call maybe to Zach Marshall. He's a he's a he's a dude. He's a dude out there. And sometimes North County, San Diego, USC has been notorious for not recruiting that area hard enough. I think there and the Bay Area, um, I think that's an area in general in terms of territorial recruiting where USC could get much better under uh, Lincoln Riley. I mean, this is their first year. So I don't mean to say that Lincoln Riley's staff hasn't done a good job. I just think USC in years past have not done a great job with uh, recruiting those areas. Um, the Lane Kiffin staff didn't do a good job. I think Sark did a better job in his short time at USC recruiting uh, some of those areas of California, but then it went to Clay Helton and they did a horrible job. They did an absolutely horrible job recruiting the Bay Area and did a horrible job recruiting San Diego, it, just in general. They, they really didn't offer too many San Diego guys at all. I think you gotta project some of these guys, they might not be you know coming out of the box, five-star guys, you know, whether they're linemen or what have you. But I think, you know, Sean Nua has done a really good job finding dudes. You know, Ryan Abraham asked him way back in February when we had our first conversation with the assistant coaches. He said to Sean Nua, you know, not a lot of big-time defensive linemen on the West Coast. Not a lot of big bodies. Where, you know, where do you get those big bodies? And Sean Nua looked at straight now and says, we're going to find those big bodies. We'll get them. We'll find big bodies. And he has. He has. And, and that's you got to just sort of have that faith. Like you're going to find those guys on the West coast. They may not be those big time five-star guys. They may not get all the, you know, all the, the composite um, recruiting ranking love, but it's because you know, there's a lot of kind of blank spots on the map uh, in California where just football is not that big a deal. It's not like Texas. It's not like the South where everybody just bleeds it. And high school football is this huge thing. And everybody in the town goes to see the high school football game. You know, every Friday, it's not like that. You know, people in, in, in La Jolla, they don't care about football that much. In Carlsbad, you know, they're, they're Marines. They're, they're like, they're, 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 they're ready to get squared away. They're not thinking about high school football. Uh, up in the Bay Area, you know, they're like dealing with homeless problems and like Silicon Valley and all this other stuff. They're not thinking about high school football up there. This is not a big deal for them. And so you don't get that hype with a lot of these players and you got to do your research. But no, I think USC done a good job getting to some of the, the camps over the summer, you know, they were at the big Sacramento camp, which was one of those, those, uh, you know, sort of those, those big um, camps where all these different coaching staffs from different colleges go to. Uh, there's a name for that. And I'm blanking on the name for it. But um, I think that's where you see some of these guys pop up on the radar. That's where they saw uh, Alani Noah uh, for the first time and, you know, started really recruiting him hard. And so you don't go to some of these places and some of these camps and have people there um, you're not going to be able to project some of these players that are end up being very talented. And so, you know, there's some very big time players that come from San Diego. And so, you know, Carlsbad's got one of those guys. We'll see. If, Gerard uh, you know, is, if USC gets blown out, it's Gerard's fault. He is elongating this. <laughs> blown out. Now we're getting blown out. Okay. All right. Whatever. Perry at uh, Highland. So, um, you know, uh, Caleb Lamu, um, that's a continuation of the Arizona. State playoffs. Brophy Pep, Prep, excuse me, will be playing at Red Mountain. So Jacoby Lane uh, at Red Mountain playing uh, Brophy Pep. And Valley Vista will be playing at Pinnacle uh, this Friday. So 
uh, Elijah Page, Deuce Robinson. I believe they played Valley Vista, or I might even be, it might be Vista Valley. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, one of these teams, it was either Highland or Pinnacle already played them and blew them out. So that, that should be a game that they win. Um, and uh, that's it for Friday night schedule uh, in terms of, uh, you know, local and some of the players regionally that uh, will be playing games that you might, you guys might be going out to or might be interested in seeing players. And then finally, our last point is just week 12 of college football. There's only one real game that we have scheduled for this week, and that is the other quote unquote Pac 12 semifinal, and that is Utah at Oregon. This is the game that people have been scheduled for USC ever since USC has lost, had lost to Utah because they needed. Oregon to hand uh, the Utes that second loss. So you're going to be rooting for uh, the Ducks in this one. But since USC has control over its own destiny, they don't need that to happen. So you can vote. You can root for whoever you want. If you want that rematch of revenge, you know, root for Utah. If you want to see Oregon, root for Oregon. It's going to be a tough game for Utah to go in and beat Oregon uh, in Autzen Stadium, especially coming after a loss. But this is a game USC fans, the nightcap game, 7.30, will know by then if USC has locked up a spot in the Pac-12 championship. And if so, I expect a lot of USC fans to be turning in, tuning into this game. So that is the only real schedule game on the Week 12 schedule that we're looking at, Gerard. What if UCLA, USC loses to UCLA? What is, what's the meaning of that game? Is there, are there still have a chance to get to the Pac-12 championship if uh, Oregon wins? There is a chance it would create sort of a multi. It would create a four-way tie for second place. Let's say Oregon wins. It creates a four-way tie between Utah, USC, Washington, and UCLA with all two losses. And assuming no one else loses, uh, yeah, it would be Oregon as the one seed, and then Utah, USC, Washington, and UCLA would duke it out in a tiebreaker, and that would, I believe yield utah would win that four-way tiebreaker and even if it's reversed utah beats oregon utah's the number one seed oregon is the second loss just swap oregon i think oregon still wins out out of ucla usc and washington in those tiebreakers so there is still a chance they would need a lot of people to lose but better safe than sorry just win the game and then you're good is uh is what i would say yeah I don't even want to get into all the okay. tiebreakers because we, we'd be there uh, all day. And Gerard, very quickly before we jump into these listener questions, I do have a little bit of uh, breaking news. If I can find the gosh. Uh, DJ Lagway has set his commitment date for December 7th. Now, Gerard, can you give me just a one minute, a literally a one minute reaction to this news? Well, it's great news for USC if they're able to get him on campus for the Notre Dame game, which is when he's expected to unofficially visit USC. So it'd be, you know, getting in his ear last and getting the last chance uh, to uh, impress him before he actually makes his decision. So it's an early decision, and I'm sure he'll still be a lot uh, that will go on in his recruitment from now until the signing period for the 2024 class. But nevertheless, it would be very advantageous to be able to, uh, you know, be able to present what you have for an on-the-field product and be able to sit down with he and his family before he makes that decision. There you go. 
That was rapid recap, Gerard, and it was beautiful here at the end of the show. Now we're going to move into listener questions, and I have started taking less listener questions, so do they do not take up two hours of our podcast. But if you want to get a question potentially uh, put on this show, you can email us at podcast at com. You can also DM me. That's a popular way to send questions, but just make sure you put the composite uh Cilantro Boys, 10K, uh, Hurricane, whatever. Just put it in the composite. It'll get into my inbox, inbox, and I will go through these. And again, I'm not picking every question. I'm I'm, I'm trimming those down, but I'm just picking, uh, you know, interesting ones. You know, ones we haven't taken in a while or, or something. Okay, like now that. we're blaming you. Okay, okay. Now we're blaming I, I you. Just, I was just talking. Now let's get into it. Uh, we got a two-parter from Drew. Uh, 10K and Hurricane, two questions, and we're going to go one by one, Gerard. With the early signing early signing day approaching, do you think more and more five- and four-star recruits not signing are not signing until February or later? Nicholas Harbour comes to mind as a five-star who will not sign until February. I think the trend is more guys are signing early just to get it out the way. And I don't know if the portal period is going to force more guys to sign later. Uh, it might, but I also think Nicholas Harbor is a, a, an exception as a five-star because he's also a track guy and most track guys tend to wait uh, until February. Yes, that's true. Although I do think there might be a little bit of a trend towards the later signing period. And, and I say a little bit, I mean, the trend, it's not even a trend anymore. Most of the recruits in whatever class, I mean, the last three, four classes have committed during the early signing period, 80 plus percent. So yeah. there's no trend there. That That's what's happening. That's what's been happening. I do think that you will potentially, because of this poor hole window, maybe see some kids start to waver a little bit. They may decommit from some schools that all of a sudden slide in a transfer or two and then decide, you know, I need to take a step back and I need to look at this. We saw a few guys back off last year. And mainly because of all the craziness that went on with the coaching carousel. And you mm -hmm. had so many big programs uh, changing coaching staffs. And that forced some guys to take a step back and relook. So I think you could see a little bit of a potential, you know, maybe, you know, there's like a 5% bunch of the class that, you know, everybody thought, okay, they're going to, they're going to make this early decision they may wait until uh the february signing period which i hope becomes the only signing period once again mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. over the early signing period just i think there's too much going on and i think guys are, are are making bad decisions and that's why you're seeing so many guys jump into the portal because they're thinking that they're ready and then all this change happens and you know what what does the ncaa had to do now they have to uh have this waiver where you can you know go anywhere you want uh, first year. And I think now they have a rule where if there's a coaching change, you get another waiver. So you're going to see a lot of back and forth with a lot of players here in the future. I don't know if it's a good thing for college football, but that's you know another can of worms. Second question. It looks like OT Caleb Lomu is a Utah lean. If that turns out to be the case, do you see USC signing any more offensive linemen who have yet to commit to the Trojans? I believe yes. Where that offensive lineman or offensive linemen come from? I do not know. Maybe it's a someone who decommits from another class. 
Maybe it's a undiscovered gem that they haven't offered yet out of, I don't know, Missouri or something. Sure. Or, you know, probably the most likely scenario is maybe they pull somebody from the portal. So I would say yes. If they don't sign, they don't land Lomu, I feel like they're still going to try to pursue and get somebody else into the fold. Just, you know, for further depth, more more options to play with. I think you would prefer a portal guy as because we've always felt like they were going to need at least one portal guy uh, to help bridge that gap uh, between the two years, especially as they move towards the Big Ten. So that's my answer, Drug. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, with Bobby Haskins, a, another guy that has been a plug-and-play player that really has played himself into the draft. Now, he's got those injury issues, and that's going to become a question for a lot of franchises. But he's a guy that's definitely better off today from an NFL stock standpoint than he was last year coming out of Virginia. So I think um, it's tough. It's tough to find good offensive linemen, good offensive tackles, and good defensive tackles. They do not last long in the portal. But if you feel like you can get an angle there uh, on somebody that's going to be an impact player for you, absolutely positively. And that's regardless of whether Caleb Lamu ends up at USC or not. Our next question comes from Trojan4005. Given the turmoil that is going on in Texas A&M, do you think USC has a chance with TJ Shannon, the offensive lineman, or David Hicks, given the prior relationships that they had with our current stamp, uh, staff? Thanks for the good work. Now, we did talk about David Hicks earlier in the show and how Gerard was saying that, you know, where's USC at? USC needs to be get this guy on campus. So they do have a prior relationship. They don't seem to be capitalizing on that for whatever reason, as Gerard said, possibly with with the not as hard in the NIL uh, space. But TJ Shannon is maybe a could be a backup plan if, you know, Lomu falls through, as we just alluded to, as someone they could uh, come back around for. I believe Shannon is more of an interior offensive lineman, and I believe they need more tackles. But I don't think he would turn down a high end interior offensive lineman. USC was in his uh, top five initially before he committed to Texas A&M. So, you know, if they part ways, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, USC kicked the tires on uh, TJ. Yeah, uh, I agree. Okay. Uh, last question. question. Last question. Chris and Gerard. Hey, Chris and Gerard. What are your thoughts on the strategies of both USC and UCLA going into this game this Saturday? What do you think the final outcome hinges upon? Many thanks. RCS Hindler. That's not a green question. That's not a recording question. Yeah, but some people like your uh, your take on football, Gerard. Oh, oh man, that's what? a tough one. I, I think this is not a great matchup for USC, uh, uh, particularly just defensively. I mean, you know, you've got a quarterback that is mobile. Um, you've got uh, a, a good established offense, you know, that can run the ball. It's going to be interesting to see how they stop the run. I, I think USC against teams that they are prepared to stop the run against, they've been pretty good stopping the run. And that goes back to the Oregon state game. So it, it, they could, they're a little sneaky USC when it comes to that as to, you know, the things that they prepare for, they actually seem to be pretty good against. It's usually sort of, okay, you stopped that thing. What's the next thing? You know, what's, what's the, the, the pivot for that offense, the adjustment they're going to make. Can you, can you, guard that at all and then it becomes a really really uh big issue for them 
you know, where they, they, they let that almost beat them. So uh, I'm not a, uh, I, I think the game really hinges upon, you know, USC's defense and whether they're able to force turnovers and get UCLA off the field. I think, um, you know, protecting Caleb Williams, uh, UCLA has a decent pass rush, uh, but they've, they've got a pretty poor secondary and they're not very athletic from that standpoint. And so I think USC should be able to, uh, to, to move the ball through the air on them. I think USC would have a really good shot at being able to run the ball against them as well. But again, I always question whether USC is ever really committed to running the ball. It seems like they run the ball, they get two yards on it, and it's like, okay, get away from that. <laughs> We're not running the ball anymore. It's like, dude, okay, you know, two yards, hey, it happens. You know, when you're a running team, you're not going to run for seven yards uh, every carry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it hinges really on, on, on USC's defense, which, again, most people would say. And, you know, not allowing DTR – to have a, a sort of Jaden uh, Delora type of game, yeah. um, and at the same time, you know, offensively, you're you're going to find a, a little more struggle against uh, UCLA's defense because they're just better. They're a better defense than Arizona's defense was. So I mean, it really came down to that Arizona game. You know, USC was giving up a lot of points, a lot of big plays, uh, but you know, defensively, Arizona wasn't going to stop USC either. UCLA could could definitely put, you know, they could stop USC uh, more often. So from that standpoint, I think um, it's really going to be on USC's defense being able to stop the run and be able to get some turnovers against DTR. You can get, you know, DTR is a guy that you can get into his head. He will, he will force things a little bit, you know? So you want to have to like get him frustrated and have him force things. And uh, if you can get some sacks on him, if you can uh, stop the run and uh, just not not force him to have to really uh, work the field and not get any big plays, um, you know, USC has, is going to have a really good chance to win. Yeah, and I think I agree with you. I think it just comes down to how well the defense handles DTR specifically. I think Charbonnet is going to get his yards regardless. I mean, he's just too good of a runner, and this run game can be too inconsistent. But if you could – corral DTR and not let him extend plays with his legs and do what Jaden Delora did to you in Arizona and make get him to make some mistakes, get him uncomfortable, get some pressure on him, take, get him down. That was the issue with Delora. They weren't just bringing him down. If you can reverse that trend that you had uh, with DTR, I think you stand a lot better chance to get a couple of those stops. You're not going to shut down this UCLA, UCLA offense, I don't think. But if you could just make them into a passing team, because UCLA's undefeated when they run when they run more than they pass. So if you could make them pass, put the ball in DTR's hands. I think that's where you want to be, and it's going to come down to being able to corral uh, their mobile quarterback, and that will be the difference in this one, in my opinion. So thank you for those questions. Again, email us at podcast at usfootball.com or DM me, Gerard. We're a little bit over, but I think we're still in the range. End the podcast. Just cut it right there. <laughs> Just cut it right there. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, uh, you know, not not in that three hour mark or anything of that nature. Um, but hopefully, answered people's questions sufficiently. I mean, more than anything, we we want to provide insight and and talk about some of these topics that uh, most people don't get in the weeds to. I mean, it's hardcore 
real recruiting stuff. It's, you know, looking at the dominoes and it's trying to project things and look at the bigger picture of things and how it might affect USC uh, down the road, whether it's, you know, from a recruiting standpoint or how the recruiting uh, process might affect the team down the road, like we talked about with you know, the running game and, and how that it really lines up for USC to be good running the ball. So hopefully we hit on some of those subjects. Um, it's it's kind of the calm before the storm. There's going to be some craziness coming. Uh, the Notre Dame weekend will probably be the start of it. And then it's basically, uh, you know, hang on to your butt cheeks because it's going to get uh, wild with the portal opening up. And we're just going to have to wait and see how that impacts the recruiting trail uh, for the high school kids. When a man when a man named Hurricane says, hold on to your butt cheeks, you listen. So that is Gerard. I'm Chris, and that has been another episode of Composite Two-Star Recruits. And we will catch you next time. I got love for Coach, Gerard. I got love for Coach. I got love for Coach. That leopard sucks!